Dear viewer, I have summoned you here today as your master to partake in this holy dubbing war. Before we march onto the battlefield, I must give you fair warning. My first command seal, you will know that tonight's battle may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger participants. Listener discretion is advised. By my second command seal, you must know that spoilers for the entirety of Fate Apocrypha will be discussed in explicit detail tonight, so listen on at your own risk if you've yet to finish the series. And by my final command seal, you should know that the views and opinions expressed here tonight are of the individual participants and do not reflect the views of the Dub Talk podcast as a whole, especially in regards to which characters each participant likes or dislikes. You know, except for Astolfo, who is objectively the best character, and I best not be seeing any gross remarks in the comments in regards to Astolfo's appearance or gender, so help me, Nasu! Now, dear viewer, be you a servant of red or a servant of black, may the battle commence. Today, we at Dub Talk begin the war for Fate Apocrypha. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of heroic spirits come together to talk about a recent or classic anime dub. I'm Archer Jet, and tonight I'm joined by Berserker Megan. Roses are red, violets are blue, I hope you've got your margarita glasses, because I'm one salty motherfuckers, dude. <laughs> Caster Roots. Hello, hello. And Lancer Andrew. Hey, y'all, what's good, everybody? We're gonna talk about how hot everybody is. We're all horny on Maine tonight for Valentine's. <laughs> yep. So we're all here to talk about the Dud 2 A1 Pictures' recent entry into Fate franchise, Fate Apocrypha. Boo! Megan, <laughs> behave yourself. We just started. I'm in eternal flame, baby! <laughs> Soon, <All right>. Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, now that trying to talk about the actual setup of any Fate series is probably more complicated than the actual story itself, uh, but I'll do my best to give a rundown, so bear with me here. Okay. Okay, so this one begins when, after having lost the previous Holy Grail War, a mage named Dardic Presso Nugata Millennia enacts a plan to ensure he can win the next one. And wish on the Holy Grail to restore his dying clan to glory. So to do this, he attempts to bend the rules of the Grail War by having all the servants be summoned by the remaining maidens of his own family. Unfortunately for him, though, the Holy Grail apparently has a loophole for this sort of thing, and allows for an additional seven servants to be summoned. In order to stop being a millennia from attaining the Grail, the Mages Association sends out a few of their own mages to summon the new servants and participate in the war. Thus begins an all-out battle between these two factions. Alright, let me explain that in TLDR speak. Okay. Are you familiar with what a Holy Grail War is? No! In any context. Okay, good. 
that doesn't fucking matter anyway, because we're taking that concept, we're stretching it by two, and making it equally as, uh, shit happens, I guess. When do the waifus show up? This is fate. Here's the thing about fate. They make so many rules, and all of them get broken one way or another. And that is no exception here. The only thing is, there's more rules and more people. When do the waifus show up? Soon. Okay. So, essentially, it's on one side, you've got one dude who, I think, teamed up with Nazis at some point, and has his whole clan <laughs> kind of sort of backstab the Nazis. So you got one guy who sort of backstabs the Nazis, kind of hoards a bunch of them, the servants and shit, for his family. And then the mage association's like, these people have our fucking grail, we can't let that pass. So they hire a bunch of, like, mages and mercenaries and stuff to try and get that back. But one of them is an OC and essentially kind of takes it and becomes a villain hero character thing? Here's the thing, Fate's weird, there's a lot to talk about, boy we have a lot to talk about in terms of characters, in terms of plot, in terms of how fucking much we want to like jack it to everybody in this show. Because here's the thing about Fate, everybody is hot, whether you're guys, whether you're girls, you're gonna find somebody who you're like, man, I am so in love with you, and then you find there's unscalable mountains of porn, and it's great. And it also, may- before. Just to, just to understand, as I, I need to cut off Andrew for a second with a command spell, I tell Andrew to shut the fuck up. Um, mm. I have never watched a Fate franchise show in my life. Actually, this kind of goes into what we should be clarifying. <laughs> All of us have different expertise in the Fate franchise. Jet is the most experienced of all of us. Megan is the least experienced. I'm a fucking lab rat tonight! She was our beautiful, <laughs> beautiful lab rat. Or our, our little puppy that got used to the experiment, if you will. I hope you get your dick sliced in half by a lady with a spike on her hand while she jacks you. Uh... We're off to a great start already. Okay. Roses are red, violets are blue. You are already dead. Ondeshiteru! In case you can't tell, we're doing this on Valentine's Day because we're all single and lonely, have nothing better to do. I've got three body pillows, what are you talking about? So, Jets, this is going to be a long night. I think we should start up ADR and Writer. Yes, we should. Okay, so, as Andrew just said, we're going to first talk about our ADR director and our scriptwriter. Our director here is Tony Oliver, while our scriptwriter is Erica Mendez. Erica Mendez is, of course, known for her numerous acting credits, but as far as her script credit is concerned, you may have also seen her work in the Dunk for Little Witch Academia. Tony Oliver, of course, has done a lot of work behind the booth at this point, and some of his other directing credits include Fate Zero, Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, Fate Grand Order, and Love Live. Uh, basically, at this point, I'm pretty sure he's just a yeah, but basically at this point, I'm pretty sure he's just like the designated fate guy. It was all determined by fate. Boom! Good! Boom! Okay. Okay, and so what are your thoughts, Andrew? Um, I gotta say, I could talk a lot about the, uh, 
the actual acting and the writing and stuff. All of which is pretty strong and standard. But first, I want to give praise to the actual, like, circumstances of this particular dub in and of itself. Because this is a Bang Zoom project. And this is also a Netflix original exclusive anime, as in they are paying for this to be dubbed and they are paying to exclusively stream it. And they released this relatively fast, comparatively. Like, how do I describe it? Basically, it came out in the... The first half of the series came out in the summer, which was basically 12 episodes. And the first part of it was on Netflix dubbed in November. So, that is almost near, like, broadcast dub level of speed. And they were probably already working on this as it was still airing. And to do that all in a fairly short amount of time with a larger cast of people and all make it sound really good, consistent, and really strong and good at times is commendable on both the... Uh, direction and the writing. Both Tony Oliver and Erica Mendez, uh, fantastic job on both of your parts. A lot of performances are really good. The script is pretty solid and interesting, especially with what you're given with. But I think the adaptation of lines and the direction and character performances are good. Okay. And uh, yes, it's your turn. Oh, I forgot. So let me go up straight off the bat and explain this. When I say I've never watched a freight show, I mean, like, I've never actually sat down and watched more than, like, a clip in passing. I did act- I think I've seen, like, the last- let me go with this. The only time I've ever actually, like- the first time I got exposed to Fate was at, like, 16, when the Dean Say Knight was playing at the hotel at the convention I was on, and I saw the last episode, and I thought Saber was really pretty and I wanted to dress up like her, but I had no idea what the show was. Or that the franchise was. I've had this on my list to watch. I've just never sat down and watched it. So when they said we wanted to do Apocrypha, I'm like, you know what? I have a Netflix subscription and I hate myself. Um, why not? This is a bad idea because I think this show is disappointing as shit. It was a waste of my time. That being said, I did give this a dummy for my best ensemble cast last year as my silver medalist behind Akka. Uh, it is a really, really good dub for a show that is very disappointing to me. Like, I thought a lot of the performances were really great. I thought the writing was very, 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 very good. I think that, especially in the writing, that it when it needed to be over the top and hammy in the direction of the writing front, it was. But when it needed to be toned back for as much as the show could tone itself back, it was really good. Um, it found a way to be endearing, and I will admit, if I had watched this show in the Japanese, like, if it had been on, like, say, like, Crunchyroll or Funimation now, I would have dropped the show completely. So, for once, it being behind the Netflix time wall actually was a good thing. Um, and I give a lot of praise to Erica, especially. Um, God, this poor woman had to write Yiga to Millennia, Yiga to Million Times. <laughs> <laughs> I Holy stole shit. that joke. <laughs> I stole that joke from Patrick Seitz, and I'm not even fucking sorry. It's it's uh, true though. It's god. true though. But Jesus, like Godspeed to you, Eric. It's Mendez, right? Yeah, Mendez. No, is it Harlinger yeah. or Mendez? 
It's it's Mendez. Okay, good. Like, seriously, Erica Mendez, like, is a trooper for writing this show, because if I saw the plot of this show on paper, I'd think you were smoking something. <laughs> to be to be fair, the plot on, on paper for most fate concepts <laughs> is pretty what the fuck. This is just Like, seriously, like Whoever just, like, Type Moon just sitting in awe- Okay, wait, no, weed is, like, super illegal in Japan, so I can't make a weed joke. Um. I'll give you the technicality right there and stop you that this is technically not written by Type Moon. This is written by another person. Yeah. No, I'm talking about fate in general. The concept of fate was created on drugs. Drugs and the need to fuck- in the need to fuck a King Arthur storybook. <laughs> no, it's that he was—he fell asleep on a uh, history textbook, and then he dreamed of King Arthur in a bikini, and he's like, fuck it. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know if you're lying to me or not. I don't know if I'm lying to you either, so let's move on. But yeah, no, <laughs> I thought the direction was really good, and especially, this is something I, I want to bring up right now. Um, I usually have a really, really, really big issue with shows with smaller casts having multiple actors play multiple characters, uh, usually that'll take some uh, take a dub down for me, because I'm like, there's a lot of characters in this show, but there are, this isn't like Naruto or Fairy Tale, where it's like hundreds of episodes long with hundreds of like major characters. I didn't actually find that to be a super big problem in this show, because those characters did have distinct enough voices and personalities in their voices that I could overlook it. I do, on a technical level, I am going to knock it down, like, a little bit under Aka 13, because Aka 13 had about as large of a cast, too, but was able to um, have individual actors for individual things. And I know that there's a difference between the Texas actor pool, the Funimation pool, and the Bang Zoom pool, obviously, with union and non-union, so I don't want to be too harsh on that, but it is something I will say this time. I'll let it slide because it was directed well enough that I could look past it. But other than that, I thought this was really solid and it got my silver dubby for best ensemble for a reason. A reason, excuse me. Okay, uh, so what's the roots? I actually did also give this one of my dubbies for best director Tony Oliver. I, it was a very strong, strongly directed dub. And, you know, I, I do have to agree with Megan a little bit on the uh, on the double casting. That is a very slight gripe for me. But, on the flip side, having watched a little bit of other Fate shows, I think Zero is the only one I've actually seen through to completion. I actually do have to give Tony Oliver and the casting director a lot of props for getting a bunch of the people from Fate Zero back. To reprise their roles. Or as many as, like, you could physically get back. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, as for script writing, I have a lot of respect for Erica Mendez for the things she had to write about for this show. Like, there is a character in particular that we'll be getting to that required a little bit of delicacy... Mm. to explain and I I think she did a really good job with her and like Andrew said when the script had to be hammy it was absolutely hammy and when it had to be a little more somber it was able to adjust accordingly and that's it Jet alright so I guess it's my turn indeed alright 
Okay, so as we've already established, Tony Oliver's handled most of the paid stuff at this point. And uh, given that he was willing to take on a simultaneous schedule to keep the reins on it, I'm pretty sure it's probably to him with the Garo franchise and Caitlin Glass. Uh, so I certainly don't have any complaints about that, though, because he's generally done a lot of his best work on a paid franchise. And he does a really great job of taking such a big ensemble of actors and making sure they all sound really distinct and memorable. Um, out of the fate entries I've heard, though, I'd probably say this one is my favorite of the bunch. Uh, while I was pretty happy with the other fate done, some of the individual performances were a little more hit or miss to me. Uh, but with this one, I was satisfied with basically every performance, and the cast was an interesting mix of new faces, familiar ones, and a veteran that we haven't seen in a good while. So it's pretty great stuff. Uh, the script is also solid, and I can't think of anything I would really nitpick on that end. Uh, Fate's prose can be kind of tricky to write in English, but Erica Mendes did a great job of making the dialogue work without ever making it sound too, too over the top. And given how a particular type mood fans can be, it was uh, very good that she was careful with where she took liberties, and I never felt like there was anything out of place. Yeah. Well yep. said. Well said. Well said. Okay, so with that, it is about time to get started on these characters, because we have a lot of them. Oh, How boy. many? We're covering tonight <laughs> There's a yik a million characters! <laughs> We're covering 25 individual people, by the way. Yep. So How are we grouping it? How are we grouping it, Jet? Okay, uh, we are grouping it in terms of classes, and we are pairing the masters with uh, their servants because it would take too long otherwise. Okay, the story uh, also made it easier because literally most of the Red Faction masters don't fucking exist. They're locked in their lock heavens. They're, they're so busy getting high that they can't even bother. I was gonna to be in a grail warp, but then, but I, got then I got high. high. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna get up and kill some servants, but then I got high. Was gotta go now my servants, servants are all Savannah. dead, and I, I know why. High. Why, man? Why, man? Yeah. Because we got high. Because, because we got high. Because we got high. We are we're gonna have fun tonight. Alright. Alright. Okay, so like I said before, we're gonna start diving into our cast here, but we're gonna do a little something different tonight. Um, normally the host for the episode handles the character introductions. But because so many of these characters come from different myths, and I didn't want to drive myself insane and have to look up all of them myself. You drove yourself insane putting this episode together, so I can Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Chet. This, is, this took him several hours to even organize. Several I... days, thank you. Several days. <laughs> yeah, okay, so anyway, so we decided to divide it up so that each of tonight's participants was responsible for looking up. The characters were two out of the eight classes being covered. Uh, so, first up, we have the Berserker class. That's me, bitch! <laughs> featuring the Berserkers of Red and Black, as well as Callus for Vanjik and Millennia, the Master of Berserker of Black. And, like uh, we just said, having the Berserkers, we have Megan. That's me, bitch! <laughs> um, so, uh, first off, I would like to state that Callus of the Millennia is magical, t tiny magical Hotchkin from Silver Spoon. <laughs> I'm not wrong. You're not. <laughs> you're not. 
Seriously, look, if you've never seen Silver Spoon, look up a picture of Kalis and then look up a picture of Hotchkin and tell me that's not like his level 36 evolution. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, starting with uh, Berserker of Red, it's Spartacus. I'm, I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! I've waited like a couple of months for this. And that the person who gets to do disclaimer is the one who does the best Ryan Styles doing Channing, Carol Channing impression. <laughs> because if you've never watched Two's Lines anyway, look up the one where um I think it's like uh famous movie speeches is if they were done by Carol Channing. <laughs> and one of the ones that they do is from the movie Spartacus, where she goes, I'm Spartacus. Speaking of Spartacus. He is a Thyraxian gladiator who, along with Gallus, Citrix, Ganius, and Cassus, and Onimasius, was one of the escaped slave, re- slave leaders in the Third Servile War, a major slave uh, uprising against the Roman Republic. All sources agree that he was a former gladiator and accomplished military leaders. He was an ex- uh, excellent tactician. Though the rebels lacked military training, the display and skillful use of local available materials and taxes while facing the Roman armies. Uh, unfortunately, Spartacus died in 71 BC, uh, but they never require they never did recover his body. Uh, in fate, he is a giant burly dude who spends the first 12 episodes of this show running around in the woods screaming. The presses will be crushed. <laughs> like, and he's also like he looks like your he looks like a bad, sweaty, panting leather daddy. <laughs> like we said, there's a servant for everyone. Oh boy, is there! I'm pretty sure he'd be the one that already would jack it to. Oh no. <laughs> Cut that out in post, even... please. Cut that out in post. No, keep it, bitch. <laughs> uh, but no, my my exact notes for him in fate are: big burly dude, go charge, charge, get captured and died. More he gets hit, the bigger he gets. Like he turns into some like eldritch abomination, like towards the end of the first half. You uh, see, fellow viewer, his safe word is oppressor. <laughs> Fuck, you're not wrong. Anyway, uh, so the Berserker of Black is uh, Frankenstein, or at least Frankenstein's monster, because good little boys and girls know that Frankenstein was the doctor. Anyway, Yes, make sure you clarify that. Yes. Uh, if you don't know, Frankenstein's originally a story by Mary Shelley, queen of science fiction, fuck off boys, did girls did it first. Uh, created by Victor Frankenstein using chemistry and alchemy, the creator runs away horrified by his mistakes. Of creating life, the monster takes shelter in a cottage owned by peasants and learns to speak, but they run him out and he finds Victor's note. So he swears revenge and goes off and kills Dr. Frankenstein's brother and says, bitch, make me a wife. But so Frankenstein does and Frankenstein's like, oh, I fucked up again and kills it. So the monster kills Frankenstein and his BFF, his BFF and his wife and then runs away to the Arctic Circle. Victor dies because he falls in the Arctic Circle water and catches pneumonia. Clearly, somebody was not watching a place further than the universe to learn what not to do in the Arctic. Make sure to have your appendix pre-removed, by the way. Holy shit. Um, also, remember, these girls aren't legal. Um, the monster finds out 
that Frankenstein dies and he runs off to the Arctic to basically Arctic to basically go burn himself. Uh, in Fate Apocrypha, uh, now you want to fuck Frankenstein. She's hot. Uh, she's waifu bait of the year. Kind of like the story, but now a hot chick. Same backstory, but kind of not. Also sexy sex sex sex. See, I, I like at least her design in the grounds. I kind of appreciate. Out of all the- Oh, come on, you jacket to Frankenstein. Honestly, I couldn't, because she's kind of just adorable and moe as shit to me. Which, by the way, I like how the co the confirmed canon otaku master gets the single most moe servant out of Oh yeah, all I of forgot them. Kalis probably has a body glow of, like, fucking King Arthur in his bathroom. He- <laughs> he he, wa he he watches pre pre very legally. Anyways, uh, he's probably the type to watch Fate Khalid. No, no, give some more dignity to Callus. Yeah, Anyways. I'm sorry, Callus is kind of a bro. Anyways, uh, uh, I actually out of all the it's Gord who'd watch Fate Khalid. <sighs> out of all the Rule sixty three potential characters for Fate, you could do. Frankenstein's monster actually kind of makes sense on the grounds that he does like tr ask to have a wife made. So the yeah, but I just find it really funny that I just find it really really funny that though like they're like berserker like the the berserker of Red is like the fucking fugliest thing in the show, and like and she's cute berserker as hell. Yeah, black is like waifu. I'm also convinced that the wedding dress in and of itself is most likely a reference to Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, it's probably the Bride of Frankenstein, but they just call her Fran and she gets all mad. Anyway, Jet, you're in charge again. Yep. Okay, so playing Berserker of Red, we have Joshua Tobar. For Berserker of Black, we have Sarah Ann Williams. And for Callus, we have Tom Bauer. Oh, hopefully I didn't watch that. Um, so, Joshua Tobar has been around for a while, and while he doesn't have too much in the way of big roles, uh, you may have also heard him as Lolo in Malki, the Kingdom of Magic, Hakuzoku in Nero Rise of the Yokai Clan Season 2, and the Magic Shop owner in Little Witch Academia. Uh, Sarah Ann Williams is a name we've talked about a couple of times before, but you've also heard her as Yuriko in Excel World. Nonon and Kill a Kill, and of course, Sayaka and Minoka Magica. Sayaka did nothing wrong! Okay, and as for Tom Bauer, he's been around for a while, but hasn't really had any made anime roles until recently. As uh, far as his other work goes, you may have also heard him as Phaeton in Hunter x Hunter, Daichi in Mob Psycho 100, and Hush in Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blood and Orphan Season 2. Is he the one that has the sister being dated by the guy? No, no, no. He's the one that looks like Katsuki Bakugo almost completely. Yeah, I'm being yeah, serious. Looks he yeah, looks there's... just like Katsuki Bakugo. Look it up. Oh my. Yeah, except he's like not an angry boy. <laughs> he's actually a pretty interesting character. I'm kind of liking him. Anyways, uh, yeah. No, so... Megan has also never seen a Gundam show in her life. Okay. Okay, so you're going first again, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so I'm going to start with uh, uh, Oppressor. I mean, Spartacus. Um, masochistic psychopath Spartacus is a strange mood, but it works real well. He sounds really great, though. Really distinct and interesting voice. Uh, masochistic freak show literally on verge of explosive climax is not what I expected of a character like Spartacus, but here we are. 
Joshua Tomar, really interesting voice. We haven't really heard much of him, or at least gotten to talk about him on the show. I really like the way his voice sounds. He just screamed and sounded good a lot in this, but I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, next up, I'm going to talk about uh, Tom Bauer as Callus because he's actually a pretty, pretty important character in the in the show itself. Uh, Tom Bauer is a fairly new name, one I don't think we've yet to cover on Dub Talk, but I really, really liked his performance. He was fairly standard, like, in appearance, but when he came to show his emotions, anger, and awkward otaku nerd side, he showed his stuff. Like I said, he literally has the most Moe servant in this show, and that's amazing, but I truly, really love the chemistry with uh, him and Fran. Also, credit to Tom. Holy fucking shit. Those screams of pain and agony trying to relive somebody's dying moments. Fucking stupendous. Great job on you, Tom. I look forward to talking about you more in the future. I really like where you're heading, buddy. Now, the one I really wanted to talk about, one I think all of us are going to want to talk about the most, let's talk Sarah Ann Williams as... Frankenstein's monster, or Fran, aka Precious Cinnamon Roll, too good for this wor- earth. It's genuinely kind of impressive how much they made me care for or a character who only really talks and screams and grunts. But I could absolutely tell what she was thinking or feeling, and how much power and effort she was giving off each time. Sarah's fantastic at action dialogue for a character almost exclusively oriented to action dialogue while still being cute as fuck well done i really really wanted to give fran a hug even if that spike would stab the shit out of me and god damn it does she not go out in the most badass way possible just fucking she pulls an android 16 wraps her arm around <laughs> mordred's neck and I'm screams, down! i will take I will take you with me, Saber is so cool! Also, she gets a call back in the penultimate episode, which is totally fucking stupid, but it's kind of awesome, so whatever. It sticks the landing. Mm. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Megan, you go. I am an eternal flame, baby! I don't know why. Um, uh, okay, so Spartacus. Because I watched the first half of the show back in, like, on my lo- during my awful lonely Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> my Thanksgiving sucked this year. Um, Spartacus, I remember for being like, he had a pretty cool voice for a giant panting leather daddy. Um, Cause he's just, he, it kind of remind, I know this is gonna sound really weird, but the only thing that's popping into my head is of, a, of mice and men. I just imagine George from a mice and men if he was this giant bloated, thing running through the fucking woods and he seemed to have this like gleeful sadistic side to his voice pet uh, the bunnies oppressor <laughs> Sorry, yes. tell me about That's... the oppressors george <laughs> <laughs> why did i make this worse <laughs> god i miss team grimgard does episodes <laughs> I've missed doing episodes with you motherfuckers. <laughs> um, so he was good. Kalis, aka Hotchkin with magic. Um, 
legit, legitimately, if Anaplex ever decided to make a smart decision to pull their head out of their ass about Silver Spoon, if Tom Bauer isn't Hotchkin, I would actually punch somebody at Anaplex. Um, he was great. As much as I kind of grew to hate Callus at the end, because there is some bullshit they pull with him and his sister where he has to do those screams of pain. Uh, not the stuff where they're reading the Jack the Ripper. Like, I seriously thought, like, somebody actually, like, gave poor Tom Bauer 500,000 volts straight to the nips <laughs> with how hard he was screaming. Um, but he also got a lot of um, Callus's like, little brother and shit across. Like, being the brother who wants to protect his sister and, like, grows to become his own man. Because he's kind of shy and wimpy at the beginning. And then by the end, he's sitting in not, uh, not Lancer's. Is it Lancer? I don't know. Not, not dude's room being like, Oh yeah, I guess if the head of the Yiga of Millennia would ever come here and get arrested on the spot. Surprise, motherfucker. Wait, what? Um... But yeah, no, we're all here to talk about the true hero of this story that isn't Mordred, uh, Frankenstein, who... God, Sarah Williams is such a good fucking actress. Yeah. Like, like, there's so... It's so hard when characters have to play, like, mute or non-verbal characters to get across a lot of their emotions and stuff. And she did it. She And her screams were great. And, like, pour one out for Fran when she fucking tries to take Mordred out. She was, like, the, only the second person done, like, super dirty in the show behind Mordred herself, which we'll get there. Um, but, like, I loved Sarah's last lines and, like, that she got all- and, and she also made her really cute, as much as the design of this character is kind of bothersome, but she made the role, like, she could do cute and super powerful to me, and that really came across for a character that doesn't speak and doesn't get to be in a lot of the show. Which was a shame, because I totally would have rather had her stick around than, like, I don't know, fucking Semiramis. Pick, pick a, pick a red servant. Like, at least half of them exist. K-Ron can bite it. He, he, uh, you know what, he does get one of the best fights in the show, so whatever. Anyways, uh, continue. I know, that's why I didn't want to take any of the black servants out. Fuck the red team. Fuck the red team. <laughs> Fuck, Fuck the, the red, red team. team. Blue team for life, motherfucker. Black team for life, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, so what about you, Roots? You're gonna fuck them up, black team. <laughs> Alright, uh... Why don't I just start with Callus and get to the sure. servants? Um, I, I really like that he was such a dweeb in the beginning of the show. And then, for the second core, he, he just sort of mans up and... God, the Jack the Ripper arc. We'll get to that. Continue. Yeah, with the, um... (laughs) Where he's just sitting in the chair recreating this dead guy's memories in his head, and he's just screaming. It was hard to watch, yeah. Yeah, we got a beer. Like, it it was painful to hear. Because those screams sounded real and visceral and... Ugh. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, like pin under the fingernail, man. <laughs> and I, I do have a lot of respect for, for toward the end of the show when he sort of, uh, when he decides to to take on the big brother. Or, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's a little brother. 
He's the he little brother, little yes. Brother. Yeah, he, but he decides decides to be the uh, to be the brother of the situation. Takes on his sister's magic and then proceeds to. Uh, it's so hard to describe, but I, I I really like Tom Bauer in the role, though. That's basically what you're trying to get across. Right, okay. right. Uh, moving on to Spartacus. Like it, it was really cool. Uh, part of this, I have to give credit to the script writing because because they do play him as sort of the uh, caveman want crush oppressors kind of thing. Typically, that doesn't really work a lot, but here. With uh, with this character in particular, I, I actually kind of liked it, and um, God, what can I what can I say about Sarah Ann Williams' Frankenstein that hasn't already been said? Berserker. Berserker. Like she. Is your love for her like a truck roots? God damn it! <laughs> I'm so glad you were the one that said it and not me, because I was Jump going in. to. God damn it, Jet. Your love for her was like a truck. A truck. But. Okay. And this is going to be kind of bad, but in, in her fight. Over under that I get to smack you in the face at AB. In, okay. um, in her fight with Mordred, when she's actually, you know, she's actually screaming and getting real visceral. I kind of heard Tiffy, uh, Tifa from Final Fantasy VII Tifa. Abridged. Tifa! Okay, yeah. Cloud. Yeah, she... Like, that's... I, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing, because I really liked it, but... No, it's very... It, Tifa in FF7 Machine of Abridged kind of proves really how impressive her acting rage is, especially her screaming. Like, that's not an exaggeration. She can do that fairly naturally. Don Cornello's like. Chocobo fuckway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I really... As much as I fear for her vocal cords, I would like to see screamy Sarah Ann Williams more. Dude, I want to see more of her in general. She's fantastic Absolutely. in the stuff I've heard her of late. Alright, so I guess it's my turn. Proceed, friend. Okay, yep. Uh, so Joshua Tobar didn't have, like, a ton to work with here, but he certainly sounded like he was having fun with it, and I really liked his voice. And uh, I definitely got a laugh out of how he blew the whole This is Spartacus line. Because... <laughs> I forgot about that! <laughs> like, like, by the way, because, by the way. That was his big moment, and he, he just went for it. That was, That's according to friends, according to sources, that was, in fact, in the original Japanese. Is it, is it, yeah, I actually went to, I actually, like, went to compare it right on the spot. That was, in fact, the original line. Thanks, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, Sarah Ann Williams' performance here was certainly interesting because, like you guys were saying, while she didn't have to speak any lines, there were, like, more than a few moments where she had to convey the mocked emotions through grunts alone. And I could really feel, feel it when she did. Uh, one of the moments that really got me was like that whole sequence where she imagined tearing apart Dr. Frankenstein for ejecting her. And like, you can really just feel how much of that rage it was conveying just entirely through screens, and it was really impressive. Oh, I forgot when she was crying too, holy shit. Yeah. How dare yeah. you. Make her face, <laughs> make her face sweat, not her panties. <laughs> Okay, uh, Tom Bauer is, of course, a big one here, and while I've heard him in a couple of other roles before, uh, this is definitely the biggest one he's had so far, and he did a really great job with it. Uh, he got across that whole, like, guy in the middle thing pretty well, 
And I really liked all of his interactions with both Frankenstein's monster and with Viore, so you can kind of tell how much he wanted to look after them. And I mean, it probably helped that he kind of got the best development of the whole Year of the Millennia gang, and uh, it was nice kind of seeing him take on more responsibility towards the end and kind of, like you guys were saying, become his own man. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'd, I'd say of the few roles I've heard of Dom, it's probably my favorite of his yet. Until, like, Phaeton shows his shit in uh, a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, that's Phaeton. gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, okay, you, you need to, like, grab over those Hunter x Hunter Blu-rays. Man. I still don't have them. I never paid them all. I'm too lazy to. Man, you are so gonna love Hunter x Hunter when you finally watch it. Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you reminded me of something I'm doing tonight. I'm okay. frightened. Yep. <laughs> okay, and with that, I think it's time to move on. Okay. okay. So you good? Next up. <laughs> no, I'm, not. I'm not good at all. You met a dolphin okay. without me. Okay, uh, so while Megan's recovering, uh, next up we have the Casters of Red and Black, as well as, as, well as Caster of Black's Master. Crochet, Frey, Nigga, Nibaletia. And uh, this one's going to be you, Roots. Alright, let's do this. So, uh, also known as the Bard, William Shakespeare was one of the greatest playwrights of the modern era. He was responsible for such works as A Tempest, Hamlet, and a personal favorite, Henry VIII. As Caster of Red, Shakespeare was the Red Faction's information gatherer. His noble phantasm, First Folio is incredibly powerful illusion magic, which can dredge up and recreate traumatic memories. He survived slightly beyond the end of the Holy Grail War. Uh, now, Evisabron, a.k.a. Solomon Abe Gabriel, was an 11th century poet and philosopher whose musings on the nature of life and purpose served as debate among Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faiths. Uh, he is also credited as creating the first golem. Uh, as Castor Black, his goal was to finish his noble phantasm, Gomer Keto Malkut, a perfect being that could recreate Eden on Earth, were it allowed to be completed. Okay, that was uh, short and sweet. Now, Roche Frain uh, Igdra Millennia was Castor Black's master. He was a prime and he died. fucking boned. I don't don't think we need to go into the Masters. The Masters, like, we'll go into them when we talk about them. Most of them kind of don't do much, so don't worry. We don't need notes on them. He was good at making golems, and then... And then Roche was a golem. He had a big heart. He had a big heart. Ooh. Get off the stage, you suck. Speaking of stage... Speaking of stage... Jet. Who okay. plays our playwright? Yep. So playing uh so playing Castor Bread, we have Keith Silverside. Uh playing Castor Black, we have Kim Clark. And for Roche, we have Erica Mendez. Uh Keith Silverside is a pretty recognizable face in anime dubs. And some of his other work includes Coyote Stark and Bleach, Speedwagon and Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Speedwagon. and Liebert in Monster. Uh, Cam Clark, on the other hand, has been around for a couple of decades, but he hasn't really done too much in recent years, and seems to just be recently returning to doing regular anime work. Uh, some of his other roles include Richard Brown and Monster, 
Prince Milo and Natsuka Valley of the Wind, and Kanada in the original streamlined dub for Akira. Not really? to mention, I gotta bring this up, he was Leonardo in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Was he oh, yeah. really? Yes, he was. Wow. Teenage Mutant Ninja Golems. Teenage Mutant Ninja Golems. Heroes in a Golem. Roche is dead. Okay, uh, so Erica Mendes... I swear to God, Paris. Erica Mendes is gonna meet me one day and go, What is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, so Erica Mendes is, of course, a very familiar name to us here, and some of her other work includes Aladdin in Baki the Labyrinth of Magic, Nico in Love Live, and Akari in Alone the Sea. Can I say something really quick? Make it quick. Well, it's good to see that Roche follows in the Erica Mendes tradition of dying since Nico Yazawa was up dead in Miami. <laughs> okay, Megan, am I going to have to give you the Nico Nico D? <laughs> yeah, Nico, that... no. Nico Nico, 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 no. no. <laughs> All right. Okay, so go ahead, Andrew. All right, I will do just that. Let me find my notes because this is a lot to try and remember some of these because this is a lot. Uh, Roche is quick. Sounded like cute, precious little boy Erica, and I think she did a great job at making him sound like a cute, precious little boy who was too good, and then he, and then he died. So, rip him. Uh, Caster Black. I'm not very familiar with Cam Clark, but he's been around in a for a while. I really like the tone of his voice. It's very distinct, very official, very astute, very, very clearly knowing what it wants. He's laid back but dignified, and he sounds very powerfully infested in his drive and his goals, and I thought that was really interesting. The character really doesn't do much. The most notable thing is that he's basically is uh, one of the big, bigger heel turns in the series for straight up betraying the Black Faction. By the way, something I noticed, I think only two of the actual seven Black Servants were completely loyal beginning to end. And that was Fran and Archer of Black, which we will get to later. But... <laughs> so, so yeah, but anyways... Uh, I really liked Cam Clark as the caster of Black. He had a really cool, interesting voice. I just don't think there was much to the character. Which is the opposite, I'm gonna say, about Keith Silverstein <laughs> as fucking Shakespeare! It was so, so good! Mwah! Mwah! God damn it! It was, it was, he's chewing the scenery the wow. second the second he shows up. It's I'm so... I'm surprised that the first character that Andrew splooshes for is not a female, but a guy. Hisoka is Shakespeare, Megan. Hisoka is Shakespeare. Shokugeki no Shakespeare? Shoku, not, no. Not the one I'm thinking of, but no. Shakespeare, imagine Shakespeare doing a swing, and that's where we're at right now, because it's... Oh, like his, like Hisoka, swing. Basically, except that, but with his, his, like, quill. Like, Shakespeare in the show, I would... You're assuming that Hisoka has a normal penis. Anyways, unrelated. Uh, he's, uh, just Shakespeare is this show. I wasn't sure what to expect, but as soon as I realized his role was literally chaotic observer and he was basically Q in the final episodes, 
I kind of realized, you know what? You're actually much more interesting than I gave you credit for. I wasn't sure what to expect, but he is kind of just... His noble phantasm is character development, by the way. Just pointing that out there. Um, if only more writers had that as their noble phantasm. If, <laughs> if only this writer had that as their noble phantasm. Bam. Anyways, no. Fucking, I adore Keith Silverstein. He is having the time of his life. And the, a lot of times he's saying thou and, and thart or art I. It's just, it's so, so good. It's so, every second he's on screen is a treat. I love it. Great job, Keith Silverstein. You were having so much fun. Great job. I'm done. Is it bad that I want Keith Silverstein Shakespeare versus Kun Kun from Devil Man Crybaby in a rap-off? <laughs> that would be beautiful. Are you saying Keith Silverstein versus Johnny Young Bosch? It's basically just Devil Man Crybaby again. No, I met Keith. Oh, I got his character wrong. No, I'm saying Keith Silverstein's Shakespeare versus his character in Devilman Crybaby. That's a, okay, want... that's a, no, you, you got it right, Edward. Just an idiot. Okay, oh, no, I don't remember their name. Sorry. <laughs> Jet, that's every day. <laughs> I love you too, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. You're a little shit, but I love you. We're going to keep reminding you this is on Valentine's Day. Continue. <laughs> yes, we are. Take a shot every time. No, so I want to talk about Solomon and Roche first. Um, I, I thank you all for picking up the Skype call tonight because I fucking called that Roche was going to bite it. Um, I called it from, like, episode one. I was like, this little kid is way too spunky next to this emo goth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the face. That's the face of a motherfucker who's getting betrayed. Um, which, this is one of two characters... Uh, this is uh, one of the roles, I'll talk about the other one later, where I am completely okay with this person. Erica Mendes playing two characters, spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, because she did actually do a really convincing little boy voice. Uh, Erica Mendes is really good at playing little boys. I used the correct wording this time, so don't even. Thank um, you. But uh, Roche, was, Roche was an interesting voice. Um, I think that... She played the naivete and, like, hero worship Roche has for Solomon really well. Because, essentially, Roche was, like, Solomon's little puppy. And his master could do no wrong. And I think she really pulled off the death scene for Roche really well. Cam Clark as Solomon is actually one of the performances I super, super like in this. He wasn't over-the-top hammy because the character itself wasn't over-the-top and hammy. He did play kind of, like, that quiet observer character really well. Where it's like, yeah, no, I really don't fucking care what's happening. I'm just gonna make my golems. And my only question is, how did he survive after killing Roche? Because I thought once you, your master dies, you as a servant die immediately. Okay, 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 no, no, no. Like, oh, that's right, he made a contract with Shiro. Uh, it's kind of confusing, but basically how it works is that uh, if a master dies, the servant can survive so long as they enter, enter a new contract right away. Which is what he happens earlier at, in the show. Oh yeah, he yeah. entered into a new contract. Uh, I okay, was, yeah, but uh, it was convoluted war, plot bullshit at that point. Like I, I think I'd kind of like zoned out for a second, so my apologies. That's fine. Yeah, it, it, it's okay. Uh, basically, it's just the way the war works is that it ends when all the servants are dead. The masters are kind of like they're they're more disposable. Clearly, because Roche got turned into Golem. Um, 
I actually thought Roche was a homunculus that was just really smart at first, and then I was like, oh, he's actually another Yigata Millennia. To which, good job, Yigata Millennia dude, keeping your legacy alive, because all you've got less left is incest and a fat guy. Um, <laughs> cit- magical citrus coming this fall. Oh. Um, <laughs> orange, okay, can- just because it's Valentine's Day and Twitter and Crunchyroll delete this, can I please say that the worst val the best worst Valentine's this year was the citrus promo art and it says Orange, you glad we aren't blood related? <laughs> you know, I'm not even gonna lie, that one made me laugh hard. That one that one killed me. That was actually one of the best ones and I'm upset they deleted it. Because everybody um, was like, What the fuck? Why would you do that? And I respect that they did that, even though it was terrible. <laughs> Thank you to the Crunchyroll intern and or Miles who made that shitty joke. I, I don't like, know the difference like, between Like, let's be anymore. real, it was probably Miles. Probably Miles. Hi, Miles. Miles. <laughs> but, um, anyway, on to uh, the, the second, mo- the third most wasted character in this show, Shakespeare. Um, hell yeah, Shakespeare! He was great. I loved Keith. Like, Keith Silverstein can basically do no fucking wrong at this point. Um, it just, he was having so much fun, and he brought so much life into the the bastion of goth gloom that was the Hanging Gardens. Like, him just fucking with people was great. And you can hear it in his voice. He's like, ha ha, I'm an asshole. I am an asshole. 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 And, like, just... Also, B, when Semiramis threatens him and stuff, like, when he turns into a sniveling little bitch, it was also really good. Like, there's just something so fun and just energetic about him, where it's just, like, he's the guy in the apocalypse sitting in the bar, like, sitting in the bar with his drink, just writing it, going, the world's going to shit, but I'm gonna have so much fun with this. He also totally called her unrequited love bullshit, because he's like, love stories are great, unrequited is better, don't you think? Think? <laughs> yeah, Wait. by the way, fuck that, fuck that We'll, get to, we'll that. get to that We'll later. get to that. Anyway, I'm done. Roots, go have your fun with your group. Alright, so, starting off with Roche, I liked the performance, but there really wasn't a lot to it. <clears throat> like, Roche was basically, like like Megan said, the doting puppy, and then, you know, what typically, <laughs> what typically happens to doting puppies in movies? They die! Bad things! What happens to the puppy in this show? He's literally turned into an experiment. So are you telling me that at the end of the night you guys are going to like suddenly appear behind me and gut me like a fish? <laughs> and moving on to Avisa Braun. I get to talk about Cam Clark on Dub Talk. Yes! Yay. I love this performance. I loved it. I hate the character, but I love the performance. That's fair. Uh... He was basically this solemn, gloomy, I hate people, <clears throat> that that basic archetype, to a T. He didn't need to be hammy, but, you know, it, it's hard to put this into words, just how, just why I like the performance, but it, it was almost monotone. 
which fit the character really, really well. Can't say that about Shakespeare, though. <laughs> like, holy shit, Keith Silverstein gives him so much energy. It's beautiful, and when and in that that little sizzler right before the big war starts up, where he's addressing the audience directly. Oh, I love that. He's breaking like, the hey, fourth wall. Like, hey, you're the audience. Keep your eyes here. Shit's about to go down. And I promise you, it's going to be awesome shit. And it kind of was. I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was awesome shit. Yeah. Visually, yes. Storytelling-wise, eh. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> pour some more salt on your fries, Megan. Continue. Look here. Look, for one, I actually hate french fries. I know, I'm an American heathen. How dare I be this fat and not like french fries? <laughs> okay. Um... And honestly, it's kind of a shame that it had the dub had to come out last year, because Keith Silverstein would have been a huge Golden Ham contender this year had the, had the dub come out all at once. Yeah. And with that, I will send it over to Jet. Okay. Uh, well, Keith Silverstein's job here was basically just to be as big a ham as possible, and since the man is also the voice of Speedwagon, it goes without saying that he knows how to deliver some quality ham. And every line he made just sounded like he was having a lot of fun in the booth. Um, Cam Clark didn't really have too much to do here in comparison, but it was really nice to hear him again after such a long time, since I think the last thing I really heard of him in was Beckley Monster. Uh, so he definitely gave a lot of credit. At least to somebody in this podcast got to hear Monster. I did too. I just it's it, been it, a long it, time. It's, it's okay. Someone will license it someday, maybe. Never. <laughs> Please. It's been eighty-seven years. Come on, Discotech. I know you can do it, man. You got this. You got we believe this. the Discotech that believes in you. Amen. <laughs> Okay, uh, so anyway, he gave, he definitely gave a lot of friends to the caster here. And uh, my favorite moment of his was definitely, like, his little disguise, like, smirk when he decided to backstab Brochet and make him a golem. Like, I thought that was pretty amusing. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Brochet, he didn't really have much to do here besides being golem, golem fodder. But uh, Erica Mendez did a pretty good job of him. She's basically an expert at doing little boy voices at this point. And she was great at making him sound enthusiastic and full of energy, which makes the whole backstab thing hit just a little bit harder, even if it was pretty obvious he was screwed. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, speaking of backstabbing... <laughs> oh boy, time for some fun, people. <laughs> yep, and yeah, we're getting, the, uh, getting on the full soul train here, because the next section is the assassin. We have... oh! <laughs> so... Let's just rip off the bandage. So I have a question. Me... Ah! Hang on, Megan, Megan. Before we do this, Megan, do you want to keep your rants to your section? Because do you want to keep your rant to the, your section, or do you want to just do it now? I want the floor cooler, so let me do it in my section. I need. It's not going to work unless we get the setup. Got okay. It. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we. Okay. So we're covering the assassin of black. Okay. And the assassin of red, as well as the assassin of black's master, Rika Rikido. So that's what is once again you, Roots. 
Indeed. Uh, so I will start off with Assassin of Red, a.k.a. Semiramis, who, <laughs> who was an Assyrian queen. Depending on who you ask, she was either a demigoddess of a, like a, like a fish god, uh, responsible for just about every one of Assyria's greatest accomplishments, or she was a harlot and a homewrecker. Like, there is no middle ground on her. Researching this was interesting. Um, it's unclear where her fate apocrypha powers actually originate, and it's likely a combination of the of the good and the bad legends about her. It seems like a, a good mix of both, that she is like a powerful fish lady, and she is basically a homewrecker. Is that why she could summon hydras and shit? I think that's why. Probably. But, um, so, she is the servant of Shiro, uh, and also a poison master. Not to mention her noble phantasm, the Hanging Garden of Babylon, which, by the way, I could find no... I could find no reference to Semiramis in any... It was just stuff. cool. Right. It was literally existed to move the plot. It it's literally it moving the plot. God damn it. It's literally um, moving the plus. Yeah, because uh, the Hanging Garden of Babylon is literally the Red Faction's mobile base of operations. Also, isn't in real life the Hanging Gardens of Babylon one of the seven wonders of the world? Yes. Yep. It's like what? That, the Lighthouse at Alexandria, the Library of Alexandria, uh, the Great Pyramids, And Stonehenge. there's a couple others, yeah. Damn yeah, it, fuck, a... this is going to bother me until I can do it all. Yeah, well, we'll look right. it up after we're done. But I, yeah. I need to move on because we're, we're starting to go a little over. Uh, oh, we, we, we accepted we were gonna go over, but please tell me more about Jack. So Jack the Ripper was a serial killer that menaced the women of the Whitechapel district of London in the late 19th century. The killer's actual identity to this day remains unknown, and there is in fact evidence that suggests there may have been more than one killer. There's a lot of different legends on Jack the Killer, and which was the one this particular series used? Okay, so in Fate Apocrypha, Jack the Ripper was a wraith that was basically made up of a bunch of souls of children. I'm not going to tell you the particulars, because that's really grisly and ugly details that we don't need to go into in this episode. Basically, the shittiest, grimiest parts of London, accentuated by children. Right. Um, she initially killed her intended master, and, um, she ended up bonding with a woman who I basically, I, I think she was basically, like, a sacrifice. She, she was- She was she gonna was... be sacrificed to summon her. Yes. Uh, so, Jack was basically defeated at, at the end of her arc when, uh, Ruler purified all the souls that created her and helped them find eternal peace. Mm-hmm. And- Okay. And her uh, her noble phantasm is Maria the Ripper. Uh, it's not clearly explained in the show, but it basically allows her to one-shot kill any woman as long as certain conditions are met. That That is explained terribly in the fucking show. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, that is actually very poorly conveyed what that was. <laughs> I just assumed it was illusion magic, like, like with uh, Shakespeare's. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, so playing Assassin of Black, we have Erica Mendez again. And playing both Assassin of Red and Rekha, we have Allegra Clark. Allegra Clark has a few video game roles, as well as a couple of upcoming anime roles we can't talk about yet. Uh, but as far as audiences are concerned, this show was basically her big debut in anime. So, what say you, Andrew? Um, I'm going to say, I find it fascinating that one, uh, Allegra, Car- oh, yeah. Allegra Clark, that's going to be fun to say, uh, that she voices probably, thinking about it in hindsight, I think she plays all three of the characters with the biggest boobs. I could be wrong, but I think all three of them are voiced by her. That being said, it's really interesting comparing her, al- comparing Semiramis along with Rikido, because as I'll go more into a little later with somebody else, sh- all three of the characters sound distinctly their own. And I think to have three different roles and all of them be uniquely distinct, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Reika Rikido, I don't have much to say. I have a lot to say on Semiramis. I'll leave most of that salt to, uh, Megan. But first, I want to talk about Erica Mendez as Jack the Ripper. This is a character you'll hear a lot of us very mixed on tonight. Hell, now that I think about it, you'll hear a lot of hot takes on both assassins tonight. But, Erica Mendez as... Jack the Ripper is Psycho Moe Loli Mendez is how I describe that. And I can think of the song by System of Down where I think of it as Psycho Moe Loli Mendez. And it's just, holy fuck, she's scary. Like, how do you, it's a, it's a level of like making really cute Moe, like adorable little child thing. And turning it into the most horrific, menacing, scary, eerie force in the show. Like, I could say a lot about the character. I could say a lot about the arc. A lot of which I am very conflicted on. Erica Mendez, though. Fucking spectacular. Props to her. She made this character so scary. And it's probably like the highest, cutest voice I think I've ever heard her. And that's really interesting. Semi Ramus. I'm going to say this right now. Semi Ramus is hot. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that. In terms of aesthetic. Boy, I can't wait to boy, I can't wait to kink shame you again. I know you're going to kink shame <laughs> me, and I'm I'm accepting that, but let me explain myself. I like the aesthetic she's got. I kinda like this weird boy, you wanna talk kink shaming. This is the only way I could describe her design. Goth mommy is how I would describe Semi Ramis's how she carries herself and how she looks which is funny because we have Jack and Reka Rikido in, in hindsight but I think I like the way she carries herself in her performance she's very dignified and very much in control but she is very defensive like when anybody does like criticize or talk shit about Shiro I'm actually really impressed with her voice. And honestly, if it wasn't for the spikes on her hand, her design would actually really hit like a lot of strike zones. That being said... All she needs is the hard eyes and the pink hair. 
god if she had the black skull hair. Fuck, shut up, shut up, fuck you. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. That being said, my my own character tr- attraction decide will not blind me to the fact that the things that they choose to do with her character and the way they sort of do her character arc and the way they sort of rob her, like, another character moment actually infuriates the fuck out of me. Why did she need the moment with Shiro in the final episode when we could have done that so much earlier? Or she could have contemplated about how she only really cared for Shiro, how she how Shiro asked her in her dying moments, and she thought back on that instead of giving her a moment with Shiro. Why did she need to be alive to restrain Astolfo in the end when you could have just had her noble phantasm continue after death and go away once Shiro dies? That would have made sense to me. She didn't need to live because Mordred deserved that win! (sighs) Can I have this now? Yeah, give me a so second, give me a second. Okay, yes. Point is, I like Lakark. I'm going to talk more about you later. I'm impressed with both of your performances. Floor's here, Megan. <sighs> Release the Megan. <laughs> I'm trying to do like the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun music with my hands. And I'm really afraid that I almost knocked my mic off my desk. Um, Oh, boy, did I hate the fuck out of the two arcs for these characters. Oh, God! Let's start with Jack the Ripper. Because at least we all universally agree that Jack the Ripper's arc was kind of bad. It's which easily the me- worst part of the show, yeah. It is yeah. easily the worst part of the show. Like, uh, props to you, Erica Mendez, for not only one, writing this. Because this stuff was incredibly uncomfortable and written by morons. Over in the Japanese. This is not something that she could have salvaged if she tried. Like, I'm sorry. You cannot salvage something as ham-fisted, bloated, and awful as what they did for Jack the Ripper. Down to care- and down to her character design as well. Like, I don't know why you're making a- the ch- I don't- God, I know Roots didn't want to say- Why are you making the amalgamation of dead hooker babies? Um, into a sexy lolly that murders people. Yeah. Like, like yeah. that's a just dis- no offense. That's a disgusting thing to hit for. Like that would be like making Guy Darai a sexy Shoda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> not wrong. <laughs> Back to Kitarai later. Um, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Andrew, just imagine a bunch of hams shoved in a condom. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'm good, I'm good. Continue, okay, continue. But Erica Mendes actually was probably, this was actually probably one of the best performances on the show because if you're gonna, if you're gonna go all in for this character type, go all in. She got the childish there. She got the fear. She got the manipulation down. Like, straight up, if this little girl came up to you on the street with the voice that she had, you would totally take her home. And pat her head and feed her hearts. You would totally be Rika, her master, who, like Clark, yeah, this is probably the weakest of the the performances she does in the show only because the character doesn't do, does like jack all basically. Rika Rika, though, you mean? 
Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, she when she when she dies, it was really good. Like that part was great. Um, and the emotions there. Uh, and then there's there's semi fucking Ramus. Oh my god, I hate this character so much. Like, she doesn't do anything in the beginning of the series other than be like the hero's fucking trophy wife. Which, oh my god, like. Allegra Clark does a really good job voice acting this character too, and she does sound completely distinct from Rikida, which is really good. This is, again, like I said um, when I talked about the directing, um, Allegra Clark plays three different characters in this show, and all of them sound separate from each other, so I'm really impressed by her, especially if this is how I'm going to get to know her in anime. I would like to see her just get to play one character and focus completely on that performance. Um, she did a really good job playing Semiramis as a waifu. And I think that even during Semiramis' fight with Mordred, where she actually kind of gets to be cool Semiramis in, like, this big threat, more than just, how dare you talk bad about my Shiro? Yeah. Like, basically that, like, and that, like, and that's what pisses me off. She totally, her living totally fucking robbed Mordred. And I thought that final scene, while very well acted, where she and Shiro were talking to each other, and you finally kind of get to hear into her own mentality, was such fucking bullshit. Also, by like, that point, who fucking cares? I do! I mean, I mean, who cares about her character is what I meant. Why wait oh, till no. then? Why wait till then? Till then. Yeah, like, why wait till then? And I will say I did care about her character arc, only because... It proceeded to immediately be one of the biggest reasons, one of the, kind of one of the factors that culminates into the biggest reason I do not like this show very much, and that I think this show is a freaking disappointment as somebody who has never watched a Fate show, and if I wasn't on this podcast and we weren't planning other things, I would never watch a Fate franchise again. It's that the line that she has written is, you know, after all of these years, you're the- Shiro is the first person who ever, uh, acknowledged me for my fighting prowess. Not my beauty or anything. And why? So that she can say that she's in fucking love with Shiro. That's it. Yeah. That's her whole character. Her whole character is, I'm gonna follow my- I'm loyal to Shiro, not because- because, like, not because he- I'm a good fighter or I want to win the war- not like everybody else who had their own desires that were completely independent from everybody else. Her thing is, I want to fuck Shiro. That's it. And it's such bullshit. Like, there are a lot of other really dirty things done to female characters in this show. Like, making Jack the Ripper a, a sexy lolly. Making Semiramis basically there to be a hot waifu. I mean, for God's sakes... Andrew admitted that he'd fuck her, but by the time she jacked his penis off, it looked like one of those little hot dog treats from a kid's anime. Okay! Spike that runs through it. Okay, you keep me out of this fucking analogy right the fuck now. <laughs> you knew I was coming! Oh. <laughs> like, if you like this show and you like this character, that's perfectly fine. She is a she is a decently designed character minus the spikes in her hand. She's pretty. She's but I just don't think that her arc was good, and I applaud Allegra Clark for being able to get her arc out very beautifully, as much as it pisses me off. Mm. Go, Roots. I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm really impressed with Allegra Clark, 
basically doing two it's really cool that we're that we're talking about both of her parts in the same segment it, it's it's an interesting thing because she does sort of the the doting mother figure for Reika and then she turns around and she's she's this sultry manipulative individual semi-ramus say what you want about her character arc but I, I think the performance here was really solid. And now we have to get to Jack the Ripper. Which... <laughs> I I really liked Erica Mendez's performance, but... Oh my god, why? Like, why? The, this is easily one of the worst characters of the show. Not just... Not just for the heinous things she does, and sort of the heinous things the writers do do to to basically bring her into being but uh, she's a frustrating character i i do like that erica mendez is basically the 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 loving little child who will definitely stab people in the heart for mommy but like i i'm, I'm really torn because this is as somebody who's actually kind of watched a little bit of fate like if this is something i can expect to see in a bunch of spin-offs i'm not gonna come back like i mean at least this kind of portrays the concept of like children in a way that is meant to be semi taken seriously and like dramatically but i feel like the her design her design and what the cuts it it, yeah, it's it's in con it's in conflict with what the show is saying between what the characters itself is saying. I think. I also think that that arc and what they were trying to go for was just not very well done. Um, it's also very like, much the slowdown point completely visually. It is. Yeah, it. Not even visually. I mean, like storytelling wise, like there were. It was trying to clearly say something like very like profound and deep. But the way that the story went about it was very bloated and underhanded. Like, I've seen this commentary before done much better. I, yeah, I like... I got a very comic-a-kill vibe, you. honestly, now that I think about it. Like, if you if you want this kind of story arc done right, watch the first arc of Mononoke. The the Toei Mononoke that, that you can get from, like, Cynodyme or Crunchyroll. Like, that, that was this story arc done really well. Okay. Like, the idea of, be, like, you have blood on your hands for killing the innocent, but, like, you can't, like, the idea that you can't save everybody. Yeah. Okay, okay. I, I actually liked, like, what they were trying to do with uh, Ruler and Adelante, but I think the biggest I, I like Ruler actually be actually being active in that moment and making a conscious choice to try and like fix a fault in the system. And I like Adelande's conflict with that, which we'll get more into in a bit. I just think the show is really bad at conveying that. Right. And in and in and of itself, the the story arc just it grinds the, the entire series to a halt. It does just about nothing. To move the story along. Considering what we get after, I see it as a necessary evil, but boy, 
does this... Sh I feel this is a show that... I'm, I'm sorry, I keep cutting in and I'll get on. This show is better because you can binge it. This is one of those shows where it's like the fact that it was picked up on Netflix was an actual benefit. Because watching this weekly, I see why people who watched it weekly didn't like it. Because watching this weekly when you got to this series of episodes must have been a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, in, in any case, I'm done and I will pass it on to Jet. Okay. Um, so, feelings on the character aside, I thought Erica Mendes did a pretty good job of making Jack sound creepy. And I appreciate that she went high-pitched enough to make it sound distinct from how she played Roche. And I thought there was just enough of a difference that if someone was going in blind, they might not be able to tell right away they're played by the same person. Uh, which is always kind of a plus when it comes to the whole unfortunate task of multicasting. Multicasting, yeah. Um, so the same can be said here for Allegra Clark, because there is a very noticeable difference in how she plays Semiramis versus how she plays Reika. As despite both of them sounding pretty feminine, there's a sort of sweet and motherly tone of Reika, which I thought kind of worked in contrast with the mess of things she does, uh, versus how Semiramis sounds very regal and very full of herself, like she's kind of above everything. And I'd also go so far as to say that if I hadn't seen the credits beforehand, I would have honestly thought they were played by two different people. And that's a really impressive feat. Um, as far as the characters themselves go, Sammy Robbins was kind of the one I liked the best in. Um, while the execution of it was uh, pretty messy, like you guys were saying, I thought the whole dynamic with Jira was kind of interesting. Where she was, like, clearly attracted to him, but tried to sort of play the whole thing off and just, like, propose her role as a servant. I mean, and I do kind of agree that that whole final scene would have worked better if it was done earlier, but, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's basically it for me. All right. So, on that note, we're gonna move on Jet, to the section. Jet, you can have my bow. Yes, because... He and my axe! And thanks for ruining that, Megan. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so next up we have the archers as well as the master for the archer black, Fiori, Forvez, Zygna Millennia. Um, so the archers were actually my territory here, so it looks like you'll get to hear me talk about some of these after all. Yay! Woo! Okay. So first up, let's look at the legend of the red archer Edwate. Edwate, yeah. Um, so her father, King Yasis, had wanted a son. So when he ended up with a daughter instead, he embedded her in the woods where she was nursed by a female bear and eventually found and raised by hunters. Growing up, she swore she would defend her virginity, and when a pair of centaurs tried to assault her, she killed them with arrows. She later joined up with the Argonauts and was the first to draw blood when they were asked to sway the Catalonian boar. Afterwards, she was reunited with her father, who insisted she get married. She agreed under the condition that her suitor could beat her in a foot race and that the losers be put to death. Uh, one of them named Hippomenes sought the help of Aphrodite to assist him, and he was successful in claiming Atalante's hand in marriage. However, when he failed to pay Aphrodite back, she turned both him and Atalante into lions. Uh, cool. So... <laughs> that explains the cat ears. <laughs> that yes. does. And apparently the only reason that they were turned into lions were that apparently back in the day, uh, they thought lions couldn't actually meet with each other. That's why. Jokes on them! <laughs> <laughs> now they got to have hot cat sex. 
<laughs> okay, um... All so... these pussies are not a pussy in sight. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, so the first of her story in Fate Lore is, like, uh, pretty much the same. Uh, but in this version, well, she was struggling with the Argonauts. He had a close relationship with the hero, Belager. And uh, when they went to take down the boar, he gave her the credit for the kill, even though he landed the finishing blow. Apparently, his relatives weren't very pleased at the thought of him giving all that glory to a woman. So they ended up cursing him to death. Uh, so between what happened to Malager and the whole, like, getting horribly married off thing, it uh, pretty much goes without saying she doesn't trust men very much. And she has a very strong affinity towards children, as we kind of got in the show. And uh, next up, we have the Archer of Black, Kairon. Uh, so according to legend, Kairon was known as the oldest and wildest of the centaurs. Uh, but unlike the others, he was immortal because he was the son of the titan Kronos and the half-brother of Zeus. Uh, his mother was apparently so ashamed of his half-horse appearance that she literally asked the other gods to turn her into something inanimate so she wouldn't have to look at him. So they turned her into a tree. Uh, he studied under the gods and eventually became a teacher himself, training on several heroes of Greek myths, including Jason and Pallas of the Argonauts, the demigod Aristotus, and of course, Achilles of Troy. Unfortunately, he got caught up in a battle between Hercules and the other centaurs, and ended up being poisoned with hydrovenom. The venom was incur incurable and left him in total agony, so he eventually decided to surrender his immortality so he could finally die, and Zeus decided to honor him by placing him in the stars as a Sagittarius constellation. Um, so, according to Fate Lore, his story is basically the same there, but uh, apparently due to his... Due to his immortality, he was originally too powerful to be summoned by the Grail, but since he lost his immortality, he now qualifies as a heroic spirit. And, uh, yeah, that's basically how we got here. Before we continue, I just want to mention something that I learned from your uh, lesson things. So, Adelante almost gets assaulted by centaurs, and the other archer... On the opposing side is a centaur. He's a centaur. <laughs> what the fuck are the odds? Wow. It's like the writers of this show. Okay, okay, are okay, idiots. okay, okay, okay. I, I, that one is just pure coincidence to me, and I find that amusing. I don't think that one was actually intentional. Okay. That one was not actually intentional. Are you sure? They have no. They they. When have they talked? They don't talk in the show. They. That's have, true. So they don't talk. I in think the show. that was just a funny coincidence. <laughs> I would also like to point out that the first time that Fiore talks to Kairon in the show, she's like, "Why don't you have a centaur's body?" And he's like, "It would be very it would be very conspicuous." So I changed it. I also I also find it personally amusing the angle that the girl with no legs gets the guy who technically has four legs. Jesus Christ. Yep, and so let's get to who's playing these characters. Uh, for Archer of Red, we have Allegra Clark going triple duty. And for Archer of Black, we have Jalen K. Cassell. And for Fiore, we have Kaylee Mills. Uh, Jalen has mostly had background roles up until recently, but you've also heard him as Lef Lenore in Fate Grand Order, Abengade in Hunter x Hunter, and Darius Leoxi in Magi Adventure of Sinbad. Uh, Kaylee Mills has a few video game credits, but is also a relatively newer face in anime. And the only other name credit of hers that we can actually talk about is Miyu Aikawa from A Cold of Time. Expect us to talk more about Kaylee soon. 
I'm excited for that one. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, go ahead. Oh, oh, okay, right, yeah, it's my turn. Okay. Uh, give me a second to try and find this stuff. Ah, uh, which is his archer, ar- okay. Uh, first off, I will talk about, uh, Kairon, or Archer Black. Jalen, how do you say his name? Jalen? Um, Jalen, I think. Jalen. Yeah. Oh, oh Jalen. 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 Uh, Jalen, uh, is a voice we do not talk about very much. The only one I've known him for, actually, is the third dungeon boss gangster fat guy from Persona 5. That was him. Um, Wait, the guy with the bank? Yeah, the guy with the bank. That's him. Fuck that boss. Yeah, fuck. (laughs) That boss was actually... Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's who he was in that. So that's the only experience I have with this actor. That being said, really interesting sounding voice. I like the way he sounds. It's very distinct, interesting cadence he gives off. It's just, I like the tone of voice. It's really neat, very very authoritative, very smooth, very much a loyal steed. And yes, that is, God, I just realized I said loyal steed. Fuck, that one wasn't even intentional. Yes, but... I think he's really, really interesting. Um, he's not one I expected a lot out of, but he probably gets one of the best fights in the show in the form of a literally trapped inside of the frozen time one-on-one fist fight in a series of jet planes <laughs> is a thing I didn't know I'd get in a Fate series, and I'm so glad I did. But I really like Jalen. Is that how you say it? I'm gonna Jalen. Jalen, I'm sorry, but I liked you as uh, I liked you in that role. Uh, Fiore, I'll talk about Fiore first. I I have actual I I have probably the most notes I think for her. I, she's just all the way down here. Wasn't sure I was gonna feel about her as this was her first time I'd heard her. I was pretty impressed. She's got a real, like, distinct range. She's got some softness in her, but she can be a bit of a badass, but she can also show her fear and emotions, and well as her confidence, as well as just her ladylike authority. I I was very impressed. I also got... She also kind of sounds a little bit to me like Christina V, now that I think about it, and I find that really interesting. I thought that was worth noting. The one that's most interesting to note, and continuing our conversation from the last section... Allegra Clark as Adelante, I think of the three roles she has, this one is the best. Like, she sounds completely different from the two sultry, busty, like, crazies from the last part. And she's much more, like, warrior-like and stern-faced. And then as soon as the shit goes on with the Jack the Ripper, when you hear her go off... It's, like, I feel the power and the anger in her voice. And when you actually get to her fight with Ruler, it actually probably, like, some of the best, craziest screaming in this show. And that says a lot. I, I'm, her character's odd. I think she does get some really good fights. But she's got so much power and ferocity in her voice that I think of her three roles, I think I liked Adelante for Allegra the best of the three. And I'm done. Uh, okay, we're, we're releasing to Megan again. 
Don't worry, I don't actually hate either of these characters. Um, <laughs> no, no, the, 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 until we get to, uh... Yeah, we'll get to, you'll You'll know when she's pissed. You'll know. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be when we talk about the main three characters. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I'll agree, especially with Adelante. Um, I do have a problem with this character being that her whole motivation, like, Seth, it kind of felt like it was coming out of nowhere, her wish. Like, I feel like they didn't properly set it up, so, like, her suddenly being baby crazy and being, a, like, a crazy bitchy hip- hypocrite to, to ruler was kind of weird. Um, but goddamn, was her going batshit the best. Like, episode 23 of this show can just 22. be titled- uh 22. Should just be titled Fate Sakuga. Because essentially, once the art switch switch happened, it was like doing LSD and watching things get punched. Um, it was so cool. Chef kiss. It was just like watching her, like, like, and I, what I love more is that the way it starts is like she just shows up on the top of the plane, and Laura's like, "Oh shit, is that a tainted boarhide? Fuck yeah, it is, bitch!" And she like plunges it into herself and goes insane. <laughs> And I loved crazy ass Adelante, but I also really liked when she and uh, Rider of Red would kind of have these moments with each other. Like, it's like, God, I hate you so much. But, like, when she dies, it's so, like, the beauty in that performance along with Rider of Red was like, chef's kiss to you, uh, Allegra Clark. Um, I do wish that if, out of all of the three characters she played, that this- that she only could have just played Adelante. If I had to pick one that I wanted her to focus on, it would be Adelante's character, because I think she nailed it the most, and it showed the most promise. Um, I do really want to see Allegra Clark cast in more California productions, Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that she shows up in more Netflix stuff. Um, and even Viz stuff, too. Um, she, and then she's, the occasional Funimation stuff that they do over at Funimation, but... I could say um, she is in Hunter Hunter. And she will be yeah, in you know, that, that, Netflix thing. What? And she will be in an upcoming Netflix thing, too. Yeah, like, yeah, like, guys, stop reminding me I need to watch Hunter Hunter. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna literally dunk all of you into a river. Um, <laughs> that being said, moving on to, uh, Shinron and Fiore... Uh, Chiron, not Chiron, Jalen plays Chiron as the suave man that you would want to bring home to daddy. (laughs) (laughs) You're so right, though. Like, legitimately, he's got teacher voice. Also, oh, because he's literally a teacher. Also, before- He's literally a teacher. He's, like, supportive. Like, the only thing I don't like is that she, uh, Chiron kind of loses faith in Fiore- uh, because Fiore is too compassionate and holds on to things. Go fuck yourself, show. Um, to which I thought he bounced really off of Kaylee. Yeah, Kaylee. Kaylee, <laughs> fantastically. They were probably the most, one of the most solid master and uh, servant duo. And the he's show. the other. He is one of the other one of the two servants of black that's actually kind of loyal. From beginning to end. Like, he and he and Fury did a really good job together, and I really like Kaylee. I hope that she gets more leads in shows. Um, I thought she she did a great job as Fiore playing all of her emotions and being that 
the girl that's kind of suddenly thrust into being a leader, but she decides for a bullshit reason to step back. She gets across a lot of the clever and kind of the quiet in that. But seriously, let's talk about K-Ron and his dying moment of badassery with um, so cool. Rider of Red. <laughs> so cool. Like, one of my favorite lines in the show is, you've been going for my heel the whole time, yes, and why would I not take the advantage? Like, <laughs> just that final fight between the two of them, and then when he literally does, he, he gets his own little, like, spike bang. Tactical nuke inbound. <laughs> Out. <laughs> hacks, I call hacks. <laughs> Rider of Red calls hacks. Um, but I, 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 and loved it. I I really want this guy to be a lead in more shows. Like, put Jalen on the big dudes. Like, let him be suave motherfuckers like K-Ron. I kind of wish K-Ron had a horse's ass, though. In hindsight, uh, just a lot of this dub is kind of like a preview platter of things to come from California, and I'm very okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, like, there's a reason I gave this my runner-up behind Akka, with the only reason being that because there were triple and double casting in it. And that was something I had to dock technical points for, for a show with a cast smaller than Akka. Um, also, B, I'm sorry, I like Bevan's dubs more than Tony Oliver, but that's another discussion. Um, uh, I think that I would totally believe them as leads in another show. I would love to see them do it. Also, can we talk about how Fiore has fucking Doc Ock weapons? Yeah! <laughs> like, like, yo, let's give it up for the mage in the wheelchair. That was badass as fuck. I wish they would have let her keep her magic. Like, let the disa- the cool disabled girl be the cool disabled girl. Mm, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. No arguments there. Like, come on, show. Come on, I gotta call that out. Like, they literally said, oh yeah, my wish is to um, be able to walk again. Why? Like, okay, I understand why. But I like the fact that they also introduced, oh yeah, to- I could totally walk again if I just gave up my magic and gave up being a mage. That's bullshit. Yeah, that was kind of bullshit. Not gonna f- not gonna fight that. That was bullshit. But but no, I think she got, I, like I said, I like Kaylee. I, like, I liked all of the people in this. Uh, so yeah. Oh my god, I just realized the next section is going to be my favorite section. All right. Anyway, go, go, Ruth. <laughs> Probably mine as well, but yeah. <clears throat> so, let's start with the master here, uh, Kaylee Mills as Fiore. I, I really like the performance. Like, this... Honestly, I think it may be one of the stronger performances of the dub. Really? All right. Like I'd agree with it. The character has to carry a lot of the weight of the uh, Yggdra Millennia clan. Yggdra Millennia. We... <sighs> Thank you. You, you get a fucked up. <laughs> like, God damn I'm, it. I'm gonna mess that up a lot. I, oh, I'm we were going to. It, I'm not. I'm not faulting you. I'm just. I'm just helping you. Out. Yeah. Well, she. After one of the characters we're going to get to in the next section dies. She basically has the entire weight of the clan on her shoulders. And uh, she plays that off really well. And she also has really good dynamics with um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Bauer. Callus. Uh, Callus, yeah. And also her own servant. Like, <clears throat> like Jalen... He does a really, really great job as uh, Archer of Black. He's 
I, I do have to call bullshit on the uh, on the character arc where he's basically telling her that, you know, maybe maybe it's time to quit magic, but eh, yeah, we yeah we, that that is what it is. But in any case, he does play the the ca the caring, not doting, but he gives tough love when he has to teach her. I also appreciate how he does that for Callus too, and I actually kind of like the line where it's like. I'm gl I see you were a good fit for Berserker of Black. I, I actually thought, oh, okay, yeah. that's really sweet. I like how he 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 thought of Fiore and Kron as both of his students. Right. Yeah. And oh my yeah. god, that fight in episode twenty-two. Twenty-one actually. Twenty-one. I'm sorry. It's so god. I know. <laughs> it was literally like a fucking melee ba a battle. They're airplane hopping and fisticuffs and... It was so cool. <laughs> oh, God. And I I also have to agree with uh, with Megan on, uh, on Archer of Red, where, you know, if Allegra Clark only got one role in the show, it would be her. Because... Mm. She gets sort of the the rivalry with Lancer. Or, or, I'm sorry, not Lancer of Red. Uh, Ruler. Writer of Ruler. Red. No, Writer uh, of Red. That's less of a rivalry and more of they will, they won't, they fuck kind of thing. Uh, that's no, that's really no, not no, what I saw I, in it. But okay, okay, no, I'm I'm joking a little. I see what you're getting at. Like they're they're slightly antagonistic toward one another, and like that that was a really good dynamic. The dynamic with Ruler, though, was great. Mm. Where she she got angry, and then when she infused the Boarhide into herself and went berserk, like, that was... Ugh, that was great. Like, Allegra Clark has a lot of range. The show lets her... Let's, lets her go buck wild, and I, I just love it. And uh, with that, I will pass it on to Jet. Okay, so once again, Allegra Clark does a really great job of making Atalante sound distinct from her other roles, and uh, while this was a one I initially just kind of found okay, it really won me over during the second half where Atalante had it out for John, and you could really feel every ounce of rage and despair in that performance, and like the fact that he pulled it off while doing two other characters in the same show, and playing all three to the point where they really don't even sound like the same person, which... Like, and they even didn't sound like the same person when they were speaking to each other, like... You know, so I, like, I was paying very close attention to that, and I honestly felt like... If you were even watching the show blind, you would never be able to tell they were the same person. I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, so I was also pretty impressed with Kaylee Mills here. Um, at first I was, like, a little lukewarm on it, I thought it sounded like maybe a little too typical anime girl, but... She really won me over during that whole, like, counter flashback with the dogs, and she got to be really vulnerable for that one moment. And she just really went for it. And then for Jalen, uh, I heard him before in Hunter x Hunter, and, uh, I'll be honest in admitting I kind of confused him with Kaji Tang for a while. <laughs> uh, but he's really got to stand out a lot more here, and I really like the gentle but stern quality to his voice, since it really fit with the whole, like, K-Ron being a teacher thing. And uh, when he needed to get really aggressive, he really managed to play that up without sounding overly gruff. And uh, I walked away feeling pretty happy with that. 
Uh, these three certainly had a lot to prove, like maybe the most out of the entire cast, but all of them are great, and I am really looking forward to whatever they do next. And uh, on that note, it is time to move on to the Lancers. Holy shit, we just got halfway. <laughs> this is. I'm sorry, editor. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a long one. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay, it's um, probably going to go a little quicker from here, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay uh, so we have the Lancers, as well as the Master for the Lancer of Black, and the guy who started this whole crazy mess, Darnick Presto Nuka de Millennia. And covering the Lancers tonight, of course, goes to Lancer Andrew. Hey, y'all, what's good, everybody? Okay, so... The, la the Lancers we got here tonight are kind of interesting. First of all, uh, Lancer Black is Vlad the Third. He's known by a couple different names. Uh, he's known as like Vlad the Third, Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler, or his actual like family name, Vlad Dracula. Like all these, and remember, the Paler was given to him as a nickname for his favorite form of execution. Like, he was a prince of Wallachia at three different points in his life. It's like, I think he, he had it, and then he took it back at some point. And then in the last year of his life, he got it back again, but then sort of died that year. He was a ruler and monarch who became renowned for his strength in battle and his particular fierceness and cruelty. Said cruelty and brutality in the heat of battle would actually lead inspiration from a certain Bram Stroker, who used his patronymic naming of the character after Vlad Dracula for Count Dracula. Uh, this is mixed in fate in an interesting way, in that the character that Vlad the Impaler was never Dracula, but the legend in it of itself kinda overlaps actually into being his noble phantasm. He's shown as being a very proud character. He's very he's very kingly. He is the ruler. He is the guy in charge. He is the one who watches the castle, and he, he controls his territory, and he's proud and strategic, but he is deeply, mortifyingly ashamed of the fact that his noble phantasm has been overridden by the power that is Dracula. And that brings him great, great shame. Now let's talk about Karna. Karna is... There's a lot I could probably talk about. There's a lot. Yay, so... Karna. The thing I discovered in researching this is that Hindu shit is OP as fuck. Like, there is straight up power scaling in this stuff. I There's a lot I can mention about his childhood, but I'll say this. Uh, he is the central character to the Hindu epic Mahabharata. He is the son of a sun god named Surya and the human king Kunti. Uh, he is one of the warriors said to have conquered the entire world. Ka Karna is single-handedly and successfully conducted uh, a campaign to which he conquers all kings in every direction of the world. He is said in power to equal two Maharata warriors, which one of them by themselves is said to have mastery of all forms of weapon and combat skills that are excellent strategists and experts in battle formations. He's got a lot going for him about his child, about being abandoned, like by his father about becoming a nobleman, rising his ways up, finding himself in battle to eventually leading to where I got, becoming the person who conquers the entire world. 
Karna is OP. Hmm. He's also hot. Yeah, yes. He he is literally flaming. He is. I'm sorry. Karna's the hottest character in this show, and I don't mean the fire. You know what? <laughs> Fair. He is. Yeah, he was an interesting. There's a lot on him to look up because holy crap, his lore goes crazy. I I I kind of truncated it a lot to this is who he is. He basically conquered the entire world. But seriously, like, Hindu stuff, there is power scaling. Like, he rivals two of the third best warrior class in this stuff. It's kind of interesting. Hmm. I mean, eh, it's sort of interesting you brought up the whole, like, rejected by his dad thing, because reject seems to be kind of a recurring theme with a lot of these servants tonight. Mm. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, but anyway, getting to the actors here. Uh, playing Lancer Red, we have Chris Viosi. For Lancer Black, we have Ray Chase. And for Darnick, we have good old Ben Diskin. Uh, so Chris Viosi is a name we've mentioned before and one who we're probably going to be talking about a lot this year. Uh, but as for other stuff you've heard of him, he is Lord Oroko in Alal the Sea, Pegasus in the Viz redub of Sailor Moon S., and supers, my bad. Okay, and Reagan in Mob Psycho 100. Uh, Ray Chase has been around for a while and has started to become pretty popular recently. Uh, some of his other work includes Father Moskis in Berserk, Yukiatsu in Arohara, and Houser in Its Evidently Sins, and then Ben Diskin is another familiar anime name, and you have heard him as Sai in Naruto Shibuden, Satoru in Erase, and good old Joseph Joestar in Joseph Bizarre Adventure Season 1. Alright, so I'm going first. I'll say this, interestingly enough. I have the least to say about Karna and Chris Neosi, even though I think Karna is probably the best servant of the Red Faction. Okay, second best. Second best. I had to correct myself there. I think he's the second best of the Red Faction. His character's really interesting. I can't really... I don't have much to say on Chris Neosi, aside from the fact that he's really good as Karna, simply put. He's got that tone of arrogance, might, power, and assuredness in his own ability and skill. And when he goes all out in episode 22, it's... Oh, Chris, you did good. And like I said, Karna, of, the th of these characters, is probably actually my favorite. If we're talking purely of like characters, like he he is a shonen rival in the end. The twist is that I want to save my save the people who helped summon me in this world, and I want to get the fight that I deserve. Honestly, of all the lancers of the Fate series I've seen, he might be the only one that actually didn't get fucked over. Speaking of getting fucked over. Ray Chase as Vlad the Third is okay. I, I have to talk about Vlad and Ray and Ben at the same time because at some point they literally become the same character. And oh, mama, oh, mama, watching these two go back to back is some of the most delicious fighting who's going to chew the scenery more I've seen in this dub, and it is some of the best stuff in the first part. My god, 
Ben Diskin, Ray Chase. God bless both of you. You are fantastic. Also, Ray Chase, continuing to show more of the fact that he is like 20-something, 30-something, and he is probably one of the more convincing, older-sounding characters in the show, by the way, which is pretty impressive and really says a lot about his range and ability. Ben Diskin's amazing. He is he is authoritative Nazi man in this, but he is so, 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 so good. They are both literally fighting to chew the scenery in that final episode. They are... It's such a treat to watch them, but they kind of get destroyed and wrecked surprisingly quick at the end of the first part. Their, their characters are okay, but their performances are some of the most deliciously, like, hammy, like, chewing the scenery of the show. And Karna, I adore Chris Neosi as Karna, and I think Karna is probably one of the actually redeemable characters of the Red Faction in regards to Servant, save for... He, he's the silver medal of red. I have a bronze and a sil and a gold to give first. And I'm done. Uh, yeah, Karna was, Karna was good. Chris Neosi was probably one of my favorite performances in the show. I really enjoyed his, um, I guess kind of stoic yet very... I don't know, I just kind of- I don't really know how to describe that I liked it, I just did. Karna's probably my favorite designed character in the show. Um, and then Ben and- is it Ben and- Ray Chase. Yeah, yeah, Ben and Ray Chase. Um, yeah, Ray Chase does a lot of things I like. Ray Chase has a really good range. Uh, welcome back to Ray Chase's voice acting black magic class, everybody. <laughs> um, voice acting servant of black- yeah, just pew pew dead things. Yay! He's just don't call him a vampire because then he'll turn into one, and then get burned by a priest. Um, and then uh, Ben Diskins also choose the scenery really well. Uh, together they will make a uh, scenery lawnmower. <laughs> the scenery lawnmower. I like that. Just. I want an entire buddy comedy of them sharing a body. Oh, God! <laughs> I need that. And I'll pass it on to Roots. Alright, so... This is probably my favorite... Favorite class altogether in terms of acting. But, um... I, I actually have very little to say on it. Um... I, I really like Chris Niozzi's Karna. It kind of displayed a range of Chris and Yossi I'm not used to seeing. And actually, if I hadn't have watched that Netflix Godzilla movie, I probably wouldn't have seen it until, you know, I, I marathon Fate Apocrypha like the weekend before we had to record this. And uh, Ben Diskin as Darnick. Oh my god, his range. Like, for context... It was announced maybe, like, a week ago that Ben Diskin was voicing Baby Gonzo in Muppet Babies. <laughs> I forgot about that! Like, he is playing Baby Gonzo in Muppet Babies, and then he turns around to play guy who stabbed the Nazis in the back for the Holy Grail. <laughs> Holy shit. And then, like... 
what more can I say about Ray Chase, particularly as Vlad the Third, other than someone call a priest? I detect black magic here. There's ma <laughs> there's magic afoot. It's real good. And mm -hmm. um, I'll I'll pass it on to Jet. I okay. Um, so ever since he blew me away with his Reagan and Mob Psycho, I've always been pretty excited to hear Chris Diosi do things, and sure enough, he's having great here. Um, the whole Proud Warrior thing can be kind of tricky to handle, since going overboard with that can kind of make an actor sound like they're only doing the voice, but, uh, he really gets across Karn a sense of pride and confidence without making him sound, um... Arrogant? Yeah, like, like too over the top. And there's like just enough humanity there that it feels like really believable, and it was a very rock solid performance. Uh, having said that, though, I really gotta give it up to Ben Diskin and Ray Chase here. Uh, ben Diskin doesn't get too many opportunities to play anime villains aside from that bad scientist guy in Bleach and, well, Death Gun. Uh, and it's uh, kind of a shame because he does a really good job of playing the arrogant mage while also making him feel like something of a family man. Like, I kind of like like his like little interactions with the family and you can kind of tell like how much they meant to him uh, but Ray uh, but anyway Ray Chase was also really great as Vlad's it's much like Chris he does a great job of making the character sound proud and arrogant without going too overboard uh, but having said that the best scene with these guys was definitely when Darty tried to take over Vlad's body because Ben Diskin and Ray Chase end up in a total hand-off over who gets to take control, and that whole bit was, like, the most fun experience in the entire dub. I can't argue that, yeah. <laughs> yep. And having said that, our next section, we are going over the Riders of Black and Red, as well as the Rider for Ma well as the Master for Rider of Black, Solenic, Ice Cole, you get a millennia, who is very she uh, is. <laughs> the Astolfo thirst is not only real, it's canon. <laughs> okay, and uh, covering our writers is, of course, writer Megan, because she would have killed us if she didn't get to talk about her boy Astolfo. <laughs> yes, because I wanted to talk about Astolfo because he was the only reason I got any interest in the show. Um, so, we'll talk about Writer of Red first, just because it's... Uh, the easier myth to go on. Uh, Achilles is the Greek hero and the uh, central character of the Iliad, which is the story by Homer of the Trojan War. We've all went over the Iliad and the Odyssey in high school. I don't think I need to explain what the Iliad is. Um, basically, his mother was an immortal named Ned, uh, Nerided, and his father uh, was an immortal named Nerided, and his father was a mortal named Pallas. Um king of the Myrmidons. When Achilles was born, his mom tried to make him immortal by either dipping- it depends on which version you read. She either dipped him in the river Styx, however he was left vulnerable on the part of the body that she had to hold him by, because obviously you just can't dump a baby into a river. That's just not ethical. Um, in another version of the story, um, Theus anointed the boy in Ambrosia and put him on top of a fire because you know that's how do you cook a baby? <laughs> um, to try and burn the mortal's part, she was interrupted by Palis and abandoned, uh, and she basically abandoned the two of them. He was actually taught by Chiron. Um, the death of Achilles was predicted by Hector with his dying breath uh, because he was hit in the ankle by Paris uh, with an arrow 
or the heel, according to Stasius, because obviously plot holes are there and not everybody has plot armor. His name isn't Kirito. Alstofo is one of the uh, 12 uh, paladins of Charlemagne, Charlemagne being a big character in France. Um, fun fact, I've actually been to France. Uh, and when I was in front of Notre Dame, there's a big statue of Charlemagne and two girls going, Oh, Charlemagne, didn't we help him in the First World War? Um, my hope for the future died in that exact spot and was buried <laughs> somewhere in Paris. <laughs> fun fact, I've also been to Shakespeare's house. Cool. Nice. Cool. I've actually been to Stratford-upon-Avon, and I will give whoever the editor is a picture of me in front of the house from, like, four years ago. Uh, no, six years ago. My apologies. Back when I was a little skinnier. Um, he is the son of Otto, the King of England, and possibly referring to Charles, contemporary Orpha of of America. Um, he is essentially basically a, um, a paladin that just kind of goes around, and he has various magical equipment. Uh, he has a magic book, which is very true to his noble phantasm. Uh, he also has a horse, uh, and also a giant horn. Uh, also the, um, yeah, he doesn't cross-dress or is not as effeminate as he is in this series. In this series, Alstofo is essentially a, uh, Alstofo doesn't care about Alstofo's gender. Alstofo is Alstofo, and he's a hero. And you will leave your disgusting comments with starting with the letter T away from here. Yeah, none of that. Uh, none of that tonight. None of that ever. Hate. Yeah, that's Elstofo and Achilles, and yeah, and then Elstofo's uh, master is essentially uh, probably the other one of the worst characters in the show, and Mordred does all in favor by cutting her head off. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. So, for Rider of Red, we have Joe Tiaja. I probably botched that last name. Yeah. Okay, uh, for Rider Black, we have Faye Baza. And for Solenke, we have Lord Landa. Um, so, Joe's previous roles are mostly for like video games and background characters. So, this is basically his first big anime role. Uh, Faye Baza has been around for a couple of years, and while she doesn't have too many made roles, uh, some of her other work includes Neon Nostrad and Hunter x Hunter, uh, Ryoka Narazawa in Occult at Nine. Yes, um, she's the one with the giant tatas. <laughs> oh, that's who that is. Okay, and uh, Rin, and um, and Megan's favorite probably Rin Hoshizawa from Love Live. Best girl is best girl. Okay, and Lauren Landa has been around for a good while at this point, and some of her other work includes. Annie in Attack on Titan, Michiru... Annie did a lot of things wrong. Uh. <laughs> okay, uh, Michiru, a.k.a. Sailor Neptune, in the Misery Dumb of Sailor Moon, and Nora in Noragami. I forgot she was in Noragami. Alright, so yeah, I'll I'll make Lauren's character quick. Uh, psycho, sexy, dominatrix, cra- crazy master lady. Proves once and for all that the thirst for Astolfo is truly and utterly canon. She's crazy and all that, but there's not enough to say about her since she really wasn't ahead of the game. <laughs> Anyways, time for the actual meat of this conversation is the writers. Because honestly, the writers are probably some of the best servants in the Fate series as far as I can recollect. Because they really are actually the best. And that kind of stands true 
for this series, even Rider of Red. Rider of Red, I saw him, and I'm like, who is this literal nobody man character? And he's probably my bronze medal of the entirety of the Red Faction. Uh, Joe? I'm just gonna say Joe, because I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce that, because I will, in fact, actually botch that name. Uh, Rider of Red... I will say, a brand spanking new name that I had little to expect what was going into this, but I was pretty impressed. There is some ripe potential for this guy. Uh, I kind of like the interesting angle that is Dude Bro Achilles, but he's got a lot going for him in this. His voice is pretty distinct and interesting, and if this is my first introduction to this actor in future projects, consider me intrigued. Now, let's let's talk about why everybody's actually here tonight. Uh, let's talk about Astolfo and Faye Mata. I only, there's so much to say, but the only thing I actually had to say about Astolfo was a very good boy. What more do you need to say? Uh, Faye Mata, though, I am not as familiar or aware of this actress as I, I am. I don't know her for much, but her voice is really distinct as Astolfo, and she does a perfect job selling everything about Astolfo. Astolfo being this kind of eccentric showman of a character, but is also really kind, caring, extremely heroic, very caring for those around him, very sensitive, but also willing to kick some asses, show their stuff, get angry, and really get emotionally invested. Every time this character was on screen was an absolute treat. And I, the reason why Astolfo is popular, I can see why now. Because Astolfo is probably one of the most standout and, like, genuinely best characters in Fate Apocrypha, period. Fate Mata, I'd love to hear you in more things now. I, I really liked your voice you gave Astolfo. I was very impressed. And I'm done. Yeah, as the one person who's actually got to watch Feymata in something before because she owns Love Live. Um, uh, so Lauren Land is going to be easy to talk about. She did Horny on Main well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the only thing that is to that character. That character is there to be a crazy psychopathic um, fetish dominatrix for your fate fetish dominatrix feel. Uh, except for she gets taken out by Mordred, which was the best thing that happened in the entire fucking show. Um, don't at me. Uh, moving on to Joe as Achilles. I think he worked really well, especially pairing off either a, with uh, Lugra Clark's... Um, Adelante. Thank you. Adelante, or when he talks to Chiron. Uh, he gets the really slick, kind of shitty, like, shitty snot, like, snot kid kind of down. Uh, as well as, like, kind of the doofy fuckboy that keeps hitting on Adelante. But when they both die, and they both get their speech, I think that they- he masterfully played this kind of, like, sad wistfulness that he couldn't save her, and that he knew the whole time that her wish- they both- it's like- Come on, you know and I know that your wish is unobtainable. Why would you wish for that? But I think you're not wrong in your wish. You just didn't- You just knew it wasn't possible. And then when he fights Kron earlier, and he gets tactical nuked in his heel, uh, it was great. And it's also, you've been going from my heel the whole time. Stop complaining. 
but the true reason we're here is Alstofo, which is correct. Alstofo is the best character in the show, and face it, we're all pretty much surprised Surprised he fucking survived. My god, I did not actually <laughs> expect that. Yeah. Uh, also, just because it's Valentine's Day and I haven't reminded you in an hour, roses are red, violets are blue, ruler just found out Elstofo's a dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually was... Originally, I, I was completely okay with the performance. I, I think Faye Mata does a really good job. I was surprised Rin Hoshi Zora has more tomboy in her voice than El Stofo does. And I was wondering that. And I was like, wow, they 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 really play El Stofo super feminine in the dub. Like, I get he's effeminate, but I was surprised that they went as effeminate as they did. And then I watched the Japanese where they do the exact same thing. Yeah. Like... There, it's not like, it's like everyone knows, like, with Roche, yeah, it's Erica Mendez playing a little boy, but at least she tries to do, like, a little boy voice. They did not even fucking try, like, not even fucking go for that route with Alstofo. And I appreciate that, because Alstofo's gender doesn't matter. It, what matters is the quality of their heart and their actions. And I think that's what Feimata got across the best out of anybody, is that Truly, Elstofo is a noble spirit like Karna, but they are very much more fun and cheerful about it. They take it not as a job to, like, they don't take it as a serious duty. They take it as, I'm here to have them, I'm here to do something good, let me make the most fun out of it. And I think that came across the best in out of anybody in their performance. Also, Hippogriff is fucking sweet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, fucking Griffin was good. Fucking Hippogriff. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so what about you, Roots? Yeah, um, not a lot to say about Selenique. She's absolutely horny on main, and then she gets dead. Lauren Landa's good at being horny. Yeah, she she gave a really good performance when she. I forget how good she's at it being creepy because I haven't watched Noragami in like the longest time. Mm -hmm. She was great in that, but character's not around long, so can't really say much. Um, Achilles, I really like the dynamic he had with both of the archers, and you know, he did a really good job. There really wasn't a lot to his character to begin with, but I, I like that they sort of played up the dude bro approach. He he hits on uh, Adelon. But he never goes, like, full... He doesn't do, like, what they did with Free, where they go, like, full explicit dude bro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, it, it's Greek mythology, so it kind of works in a weird way. Mm. But, uh, I... I... <laughs> Uh, the fight in episode 21 <laughs> and and the banter between him and Chiron is just uh, another chef kiss moment for the show. And, um, God, Estolfo, it, this is a, it's probably among my favorite performances of the show. Cause the, uh, the character has to show a lot of range and I have a lot of respect for Faye Mata for, the performance she gives. Miss America, put the Love Life dub up on streaming on Crunchyroll, you fucks! 
Give us a stream, you cowards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in any case, I'm I'm done, and I'll pass it on to Jet. Okay. Um. So, like everyone was saying here, Lord Lando was just kind of there to sound crazy and horny, and she pulled it off. So, I don't really have much to say other than she was good at making me want to see this character get wrecked, and I was happy when she got wrecked. Um. So Joe made a very solid showing for my first time ever really hearing him in anything. And while I know it's not, like, particularly flattering to be compared to other VAs, like, he kind of be, he kind of reminded me a lot of Matt Mercer in, like, the best of ways, and, uh, he was great at making Achilles out uh, brash and cocky while also being able to dial it back for the more serious scenes. And then we have Fame out as the Stolfo, which was just... Uh, she was really great at making a Stolfo sound energetic and adorable pretty much every second he was on screen and while she didn't make him sound like super drowsiness or anything I felt that that worked more towards her favor since the contrast between how feminine he sounds and how not so he is about certain situations made for some really funny lines like, like, like all those bits where he's being tortured by his master and he's just kind of like yeah whatever it's like that was, oh that was really great and, um, he couldn't be bothered to get it up. <laughs> Why would he? It's like, look, you just want me because you think I'm hot. I need more than hot. I need, like, fucking dates and cuddles and shit, lady. <laughs> and, and let's face it, you would cuddle the shit out of a Stolfo. We all would cuddle the shit out of a Stolfo. I want an El Stolfo plushie. Yeah. Oh, it I exists. Want, I want. But be but. No, not the like the little zoom zoom. I want like the monkey's paw. I want, no, I don't want like a. <laughs> to Andrew, no, I don't want a creepy El Stolfo body pillow. No, I want like a no, big Nessa. No, I'm not talking about the creepy body pillow. I'm talking about the little like what is it the lump thing where it's just like the little round cylinder and it's got the stupid derpy face. <sighs> Oh, it's a Zoom Zoom. Zoom That's what I was thinking. Machi Machi, I have, like, a collection of them. You, you can totally like, buy the Astolfo Zoom Zoom. I'm sorry, did you not see the video of me at A-Fest where they had to pull me away from a booth because I kept buying token Rambu you ones? Fair point. This is and a thing that happened. I was there. I had to pull her away. Anyways, give us Astolfo plushies. Okay, um, so basically Asolfo was the best character to show for me next to Mordred, and while he should have won that whole shipping war with Sieg, he got to survive the Holy Grail War, so Hazer's that. By the way, I know, I know, like, Astolfo actually stays with the Black Faction. From the beginning, Astolfo wasn't even loyal at all. Like, he kind of brings the entirety he literally tries hauling Sieg's ass out of there and ends up kind of sort of causing more conflict in the internal rankings he would not have stuck around if he didn't partner up with Sieg which I actually really like the angle of Sieg uh and Solfo being master servant I thought that was neat yeah that was like one of the best moments of the show for me um so anyway our last group for tonight is second to last Okay, yeah, so our last, like, group. Our last you know, right, class. Like, yeah, well, not last class, but last group. Sorry, uh, so we have our Sabres, as well as their Masters, Kyrie Shishigo, a.k.a. Mr. Shades, and Gordis, Music, Yigata Millennia, the resident jerk face. And Andrew was in charge of the Sabres, so if you would. Okay, so let's start with uh, Siegfried. Uh, there's a couple of different, like, other myth 
mythologies, particularly in Norse and Scandinavia, but the one we're working with is more parallel to the German folklore as he's represented in Nibel Ungenlied. Uh, he's a prince from the Neverlands who acquired a powerful sword named Balrog and a cloak of invisibility. His most renowned heroic act was slaying the dragon Fafnir and bathing in its blood, being nigh invincibles. Man, can I please make a bad joke? <sighs> you rudely interrupted me, but sure. Man, that second OVA of Dragon Maid got really dark. You know, I'll let you have that one. That's that's cute. Okay. Alright, so his most renowned heroic act was saying the dragon Fafnir and bathing its blood, save for being nigh invincible, save for a spot on its back, on the back of his neck, due to a leaf falling on his neck while he's bathing in the blood. So, the back of his neck is the single vulnerable part of his body. Uh, in trying to win the heart of Krimheld, the sister of King Gunther, he helps Gunther woo the queen of Iceland, Brunhild. Uh, she's a woman of strength, and to prove the king's strength to court her, Siegfried basically dons the cloak of invi invisibility to make it look as if Gunther is the one doing it. Kate simply put, Siegfried, top-tier wingman. Siegfried is wed, but eternal treachery from Gunther's courtier, Hage von Troj. He devises a scheme and plans with Gunther and uses Kim Held, his wife, to place a cross on the back of his vulnerable spot, and Hagen spears him when he is taking a drink from a stream to look like a hunting accident. Pretty much all of that is intact in regards to the fate mythos, so not going into that. Now let's talk Mordred. Uh, Mordred's, Mordred's really interesting comparing the two. Uh, simply put, Mordred is a character in Arthurian legend known as a notorious traitor whom Arthur fought, fights and killed during the Battle of Camlin, which is also Arthur's final battle due to injuries that Arthur sustains from Mordred. Uh, Mordred was a member of the Knights of the Round Table and nicknamed the Usurper King and, of course, is branded by a traitor when, you know, he's trying to kill Arthur. Uh, this is going off of the version of the story where Mordred was conceived through inadvertent incest with Arthur's estranged sister. Uh, while she was, while sometimes this belongs to Morgaise, fate goes with the variation of Morgan Le Fay being the mother. And in regards to fate, shit gets weird. Okay, so here's the thing. Arthur is a girl in fate. Actually, like name is Arturia Pendragon instead of Arthur Pendragon, and Arturia is posing as a male, and at some point, Merlin essentially uses magic to turn Arturia into a pseudo-male and basically gives Arturia a magic dick to try and help produce a future heir. But through, like, means of treachery and scheming, Morgan Le Fay essentially takes some of the magic dick, magic sperm, and then fuses that into the body of a homunculus and incubates said sperm into one of her ovaries and accelerates the growth, and boom, Mordred. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't tell any of you that, because this is fate, and man, oh man, is it a trip. Fade them. I swear. <laughs> oh boy. I quit. I quit doing this podcast. I quit anime. I quit fucking manga. I'm gonna go find an alligator and adopt it and make it my child. Um, it was nice being friends with all of you. That's just. 
I have sat through some shit for this podcast. I've sat through a man being fucked by his own subconscious that was inside of a robot dog. I've watched a girl with no name go through a time loop to find her one true love and basically almost died Final Destination style because her idiot boyfriend stabbed herself in the heart. I have sat through a girl being put into a house with 13 of her stepbrothers and deciding maybe, just maybe, I want them, one of them to put my dick in, put their dick in me. I've watched... I have watched Elizabeth Maxwell become a Southern Belle and Jade Saxton rap. I have watched a show where a guy gets a centipede put in his ear, but none of that... Can't even comprehend the fucking garbage babble that came out of Andrew's mouth. Dude. Magic sperm homunculus growth? What the fuck? I'm so glad I'm doing this. I'm so glad I'm doing this episode. Why did you all make me... Oh, fuck, my dad's banged on the door. Why did you all make me watch a Fate franchise? That's it. You all are mean. I hate you. I love you so much, Megan. I'm so glad you're doing this with us. I love all of you people. Jet, please don't. Roses are red, violets are blue. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. (laughs) Okay, so playing Saber Bright, we have Erica Lindbeck. For Saber Black, we have... Ben Bromsky, and for Kyrie, we have Patrick Seitz. For Gordis, we have Brad Venerable. Um, so, Erica Lindbeck is a name we've mentioned a few times here at Dove Talk, and some of her other work includes Takenoda and Hunter x Hunter, Ellie and Love Live, and Anaru and Anohana. Uh, ben Bromsky has actually been around for a long time and was originally based in Houston before moving to California a few years ago. Uh, some of his other work includes Takashi in Kromade High School, Kurotabo in Dura Rather Yukai Clan, and Moo, Alexis, and Magi in the Kingdom of Magic. Uh, Patrick Seitz has been in basically everything, and you might have heard him as Endeavor in My Hero Academia, Captain Bravo in Buta Rankin, and of course our Lord Dio Brando from Joseph Bizarre Adventure. And then uh, Brad Venable is another Texas VA who made a move to California. And some of his other work includes Red Dragon and Chaos Dragon, Byro in Fairy Tale, and Dodge and Attack on Titan. Alright, okay. Get it brief, 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 brief. Okay, so. My back hurts. I, I, okay. Alright, let's go through this first. First off, uh, Black Faction, because these two are simultaneously the most and or least important characters, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Siegfried, uh, Ben Pronsky, is an interesting voice I'm not sure I've ever talked about, or I don't think we've ever talked about, but he's got a very interesting, distinct-sounding, like, badass, manly voice, and that's really cool and really neat. Like, he kind of sort of gets less to do when Sieg starts becoming him, but I think the re- I really, really liked the sound of his voice, and I actually really liked even, like, what he did early on. I liked his character quite a bit. Uh, Brad Venable is not a, a name I expected to see with Callie, but he's got that very shit-eating-sounding face, and shit-eating sounding face that's a that's a shit-eating sounding voice and he just sounds like yeah i know what i'm doing i'm i could do things but he's kind of a jack-off but somehow he gets an actual character arc and sort of is kind of 
shown to be full-on Sundere when he's dealing with the other homunculi, and he actually gets to survive and kind of adapt. And he's got a fat son like him, too, which is actually kind of amusing. I think Brad Venable voice is really good. Now, the actual ones of note are... Uh, first, let's talk Kyrie, Because let's talk uh, Kyrie and Patrick Seitz, because Patrick Seitz is... He is a daddy dilf man who looks like Dog the Bounty Hunter, and he's so goddamn cool, and his character dynamic with Mordred is fantastic and genuinely one of the most touching, effective, and genuinely sweetest and bestest parts of the show, period. Straight up. You want me to describe the relationship between uh, Kyrie and Mordred? <clears throat> I'm going to quote a certain... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 here. <clears throat> I was waiting for this. Arthur may have been your father, but he sure wasn't your daddy. You're now thinking... Honestly, he's not wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> and honestly, that kind of makes it their relationship all the more endearing and fantastic in the fact that their, their chemistry, their histories together where one is kind of always looking to compete with their father, but actually kind of looking up and admiring the role that they had and the burden on their shoulders was a really interesting thing. And the curse of, like, uh, Kyrie's family, that he can't inherit an heir, and he wanted to bring his daughter back. And the idea that these two have a father-daughter, father-son relationship works so well and it's genuinely touching and i really actually felt a lot uh with these two characters patrick seitz is great but now let's talk lindbeck because lindbeck lindbeck is like this bratty trashy teenager going through a hardcore rebellious phase in the form of a traitorous disowned knight there's so much snark and strength in her voice, but a sense of playfulness and vulnerability seeping through the brave facade, and she chases after cats. Also, I realize why I like Mordred so much, is that she gives me a major Ryuko Matoi vibe. That fuck yeah, motherfucker, I'm gonna kick the shit out of everybody, but actually, I like really want to help my friends out. Or in this case, Kairi. And... The tone that Lindbeck gives is so badass and gruff and tomboy, but it works so well for Mordred. These two are some of the best characters in the show, and I'm still forever mad that the show basically robbed them so Semi Ramus could have their moment. These two are fantastic. These two are great. They're some of the best characters in the show, bar none. Erica Lindbeck, Patrick Seitz, hats off to you. You done good. I'm surprised Fatty actually made it through the whole I show. I am too. And he has a kid, apparently. He has a cute little fat bastard. <laughs> what? I can't. I, I can't do this. I, uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I wish that Siegfried would have stayed around the whole show and not died in episode four, because he was a great performance and probably one of my favorite characters. But of course, if this show made good decisions, Siegfried would have lived. Um, uh, the big dude, Gordas, uh, I thought he was really good, and he sounded really pompous and jackassy, like a jackass, ass, but I feel like at times he also, when Gordas started to be nice to people, he also was, like, able to let it go and start being a nice guy. Um, 
And then Shishigo, Shishigo. You can just call him Kyrie. It's probably easier. Kyrie. Kyrie was great. I I do wish that the show had not written where he explained his backstory like he was so nonchalant about it. Because like it's clear that it obviously meant a lot. But I really liked Patrick Seitz doing his Patrick Seitz thing. Um, I I like that it was kind of Patrick Seitz the straight man for once, not Patrick Seitz the goofball, like I'm used to hearing, or Patrick Seitz the in, the undeniable ham. Um, and then Erica Lindbeck as Mordred was like a plus. She is my favorite servant, favorite female servant in the show. She's not my favorite servant on Red because I love Karna too much. Um, but God, did she get shafted for Semiramis? Like, that final scene between the two of them was so beautiful. Where she's like, hey, master, can I have one of your cigarettes? This is awful. <laughs> that was so and, good. And, like, you finally, you finally, like, she finally realizes what she really wants. And I think Erica Limbeck, I'm pretty much convinced Erica Limbeck is actually Mordred in real life. I could say it, yeah. But... Like, but yeah, hats off to the two of you. I just wish that you didn't get shafted. The, the cigarettes at the end was, oh, that, that hurt me. Uh, um, so all these who are recovering, Roots? Yeah, uh, let's start with uh, Siegfried and Gordis, who really, they don't do a lot in terms of the show. I mean, Siegfried dies early and Gordis is just kind of shoved into the background Honestly, there was a point where, um, there was a point where it was implied that Avisa Braun was looking at the humans basically as the fuel source for his golem, and I was kind of hoping it would have been him. Because he was, he was a jerk throughout the entire first half of the show. But uh, I, I do like the fact that he kind of warms up to people in the second half, and he actually becomes a decent character. And I, I think the performance was fairly good. Uh, let's get to the meat of this, though. Uh, Saber of Red and uh, Kyrie. I really love the father-daughter dynamic. <clears throat> and I love that it was basically immediate, even if the both sides couldn't admit it to themselves. And that that scene at the end was absolutely beautiful, and yeah, Semiramis surviving kind of undercut a lot of that. Fuck you, show, for that. And, um, I'll pass it on to Jet. Okay. Um, so it's been a while since I've really heard Ben Proxgate anything, but I like to sing Freed. Uh, while it was definitely on the grub side, he was able to get across a lot of the emotion. And he just, like, he really hit where he needed to. And I uh, really felt for him during that whole scene where he had decided to sacrifice himself for seeing to sort of, like, prove his heroism. I thought that was neat. Uh, Gorge was uh, pretty much just a jerk, but uh, Brad Venable was good at getting across that prophecy was. I mean, and while I didn't like totally buy the whole like nice guy transformation, I thought it was like an interesting. I thought it was pretty interesting character development, and I really liked uh, all the interactions between him and that homunculus girl. I thought they were all plays like pretty funny. Uh, but of course, the real winners in this section are Patrick Seitz and Eric Lindbeck because 
they pretty much got to be the two best characters in this entire show. Uh, so Patrick Science is no stranger to being like mysterious cool guys, but hey, he's great at those, so who cares? Uh, but anyway, I really liked like the whole laid back attitude of his both his performance and the character himself. And I really like this guy to see him shrug off all the insanity. Where he's just kinda like, eh, it's a girl or whatever. Um, and Erica Lindbeck's Mordred. It, it was just fantastic. And she was great at sounding haughty, sarcastic, and while also being able to flip it around and sound like really goofy or be like really emotional and kind of like teenage. And uh, it was by far my favorite performance of the show, and I'd actually go so far as to say it was my favorite performance from Erica Lindbeck, period. However, the thing that really made that work for me was uh, Patrick Seitz and Erica Lindbeck's performances where they were just like the chemistry between the two of them. Uh, watching the characters interact was always a really great time, and I loved how it sort of gradually became a parent-child relationship. And I very much appreciate that the show had enough subtlety to never outright bring that up. Like, not even when you find out Mr. Sage actually used to be a dad. And I thought that was a really great touch. Uh, so I got nothing but praise for these two folks. I mean, I do kind of wish the show had followed them instead, but... Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And with that, we are out of the groups, and it is time to get down to our main three. Are we combining them? Dude, it's like two and a half We, hours. we have to recombine them, yeah. Dude, Jet, we gotta combine them. Okay, 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 so we have Shiro Kotomine, uh, we have Jean d'Arc, and we have our main character, Zeke. Uh, is that okay? So, uh, going first with Shiro. At first, I assumed Shiro von Fanfic here was an original character made up for the story, <laughs> but it was a good thing I double-checked, because it turned out that his true identity, Shiro Abitosa, was actually a real historical figure. Really? Yes. Um, so basically, he was born in 1621 as the son of a, as the son of devout Catholics, and he was known among other Japanese Catholics for his charisma and was believed to have been given divine power from God. Um, around 1637, at the young age of 15, he became a Ronin, and he led a peasant rebellion against the Shogunate in response to heavy taxes and the prohibition of Christianity, and uh, they managed to take Obahara Castle. Unfortunately, he was betrayed by one of the other rebel soldiers, and the Shogun to the castle while slaughtering almost 40,000 rebels, women and children included. Uh, shortly afterwards, Hirohabakusa was captured and executed, with his head displayed on a pike in Nagasaki as a warning to the other Christian rebels. Um, his story in fate lore, on the other hand, is a little more complicated, obviously. Um, so, similar to the historical legend, he was believed to have had divine powers, uh, but the Japanese Catholics at the time worked with him as a son of God, while in reality he just kind of happened to be born of age. Um, so he led the rebellion against the Shogunate and was eventually betrayed and executed. Uh, but while he accepted the responsibility for his failure, watching so many of his allies get killed made him determined to create a new and better world if ever given a second chance. Um, so, sure enough, he got summoned as a servant in the previous Holy Grail War, and when his master was defeated, Shiro managed to come into contact with the Greater Grail and obtained his own flesh and blood body, so he kind of avoided dying. Um, so he bided his time, got into good graces with the Mazes Association so he could mediate the next Grail War, and then he worked his way in as a participant, which pretty much brings us to the main story. 
Okay, and uh, as far as Thor uh, goes, um, so Joan of Arc was one of the easier historical figures to look up, uh, but for anyone who doesn't know about her, she was originally a peasant girl who lived in medieval France, and was believed, and it was believed that she was chosen by God to lead her people to victory in the war against England. Uh, she eventually convinced the crown prince to allow her to lead an army into the city of Orleans, where they managed to drive back the English. However, after the prince had been crowned king, she was captured by the English forces, and was eventually tried for witchcraft and burned at the stake. Uh, her version, the version of her story in Fate is more or less the same, albeit with some extra prose about her having surrendered most of her emotions and whatnot. And, and her draft apparently drove her companion Gilded Rays insane, and it's the reason he turned to dark arts instead of having practiced it like the outset in according to history. Okay, and then our protagonist, Sieg, is a homunculus who was originally created to be used as a tool of the Holy Grail War, but manages to retain free will, and eventually gets pretty involved with the war for his own reasons. Okay, so playing Shiro, we have Max Middleman. Play, playing John, we have, and riding out of the great Erica Trinity, we have Erica Harlinger, and then for Seek, we have Zach Aguilar. Um, so, Max Modelman is, of course, a pretty big name on the Cali scene these days. Uh, some of his other work includes Adolko to Haberu in Boruto the Movie, Hikaru in Lull the Sea, Saitama in One Punch Man, and Inaho in Elmo Zero. Uh, okay, Erica Harlinger is another pretty big face of Cali these days. Some of his other work includes Elizabeth in The Seven Deadly Sins, Blood Leopard in Excel World, Kurpika in Hunter x Hunter, and Princess Salem from El Noah Zero. Okay, and Zach Aguilar. And despite the fact that he's pretty young, he's been doing anime for a good while, and some of his other roles include Genos in One Punch Man, Holt in Hunter x Hunter, Sakaki in Mobusuke Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, and Slade in El Noah Zero. All right. Okay. <laughs> There's one that he forgot to mention, but uh, I'll do that when Andrew is okay. done. All right. Give me a second. Uh, I'm just trying to get myself back into this. Uh, two of these can go pretty quickly for me. Max Middleman Ashiro, he's good. He's good. He's pretty good at being Max Middleman in this character that is like three different fake characters and also a historical figure in one. He's weird. Max Millman's good. Zach Ag Aguilar, I, I, he's an interesting tone of voice. I wasn't sure what to think of him as a leading man, but for the particular character that Sieg was, he works. And I think he does a pretty good job. I, I, there's one role I really want to talk about that we'll talk in a later episode, but I think Zach as Sieg does a pretty good job with the way he's given. The one I really have the most to talk about is Ruler, a.k.a. Jean, a.k.a. Erica Harlacher. Because uh, Erica Harlacher, I've come to realize, is probably one of my favorite actresses currently in Cali, or at least one of my current active actresses over there. I really enjoy the specific tone that she says. She's much more mighty and strong in conviction, but really vulnerable, sweet, and caring, and just... I, I've been pretty impressed and really enjoying her performance as a uh, ruler, especially like with what she's got to work with it. I've also come to the realization that Erica Harlacher is the unofficial, official voice of all hot blondes. 
Think about it. Jean d'Arc. On to Kamaki from Persona 5. Kaede Akamatsu. Danganronpa V3. Kurapika! Kurapika! Need I say more? Kurapika's hot as shit, too. Let's be real here. And... But she's not Ellie from Love Lives, therefore she is the Okay, one. fair enough. But I really, like, I, I just find that funny. She plays a lot of hot blondes. But no, I really like Erica Harlachter's voice. I really like what she does with Ruler. I like the voice that works with Ruler. I adore the character design of Ruler. It's one of the coolest designs in Fate to me. And it's really cool and interesting. And that's why it bums me the fuck out that this show totally botched this character. Oh, this one actually disappoints the shit out of me. I've been playing Devil's Advocate for a lot of this. I'm not going to lie, this one actually bugs the crap out of me. Here for a couple reasons. One, she is the system, and she is the main heroine. She is the main heroine, but she is the main system. And being the system in the system that is fate means you get fucked. Means you get fucked and ruined and broken and destroyed and made irrelevant. The fact that the main heroine has been made... The system of this game puts her at a disadvantage from the very beginning, and I think that kind of really hurts this character. She's got some really cool moments. She's got some great moments with fight. I actually do like when she purifies Jack. I like the battle she gets with Adelante, and I think she's got some really cool stuff in the first part. But I really despise the fact that the show decided so hard to job her out. That's the term. She gets jobbed hard in this and that bums the fact out of me and here's the thing she also becomes the major romance interest and that becomes an important part of her character for seeing for better or worse Boo. which she, i wouldn't the answer is for mostly worse i wouldn't mind the romance angle if she didn't get jobs so hard i also learned that her final super noble phantasm was supposed to do a lot more damage to shiro but it looks like it doesn't do shit to shiro and that bumps the fuck out of me because it's like apparently supposed to be a broken noble phantasm and it looks like it does fucking nothing i love erica harlacher as jean i really love jean's design character etc apocrypha really botched her and that's probably the most disappointing thing to me about this show and i pass this on to megan and roots who probably have more to say about her and the other two characters well this is a giant almost three hour train wreck jesus christ um first of all before i start hey andrew yes megan what's the name of the character that zach aguilar plays in hunter hunter cult it's called poop. Every time, every time, every guy fucking Yes, he's poop. Shut up. <laughs> it's ant queen poop. <laughs> I'm sorry, I needed that. I've been having a shitty okay. night. Okay. Um, I've had a shitty day. Um not a shitty night interacting with you guys. Uh let's make this quick. Max Middleman does a really good job playing a villain. I don't think I've ever heard Max Middleman play a villain before. Um I think he played Shiro McOC really well. I just wish Shiro McOC was a better character. Um, Zach Aguilar as uh, White Bread, I mean Sieg. I mean, how do you fuck up somebody turning into a dragon? Oh, that's right. You do this. Um, he was great. Um, he's a lot more improved than the first time I ever saw him. Because I really did not like um, Zach as Genos in One Punch Man. 
Um, but I think that the direction here for him was better, and I think the character itself, I think, suited his voice a little bit more. Erica Hartledger plays Jean, Jean d'Arc, a.k.a. Jean the Plot Convenience. Um, I really wish that she kept the tempo up in the beginning. Um, I also don't like the whole aspect where you couldn't tell the difference, honestly, between her and Leticia, the girl that Jean possesses. I think that you could tell it and a little bit, actually. I, 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 I actually I, do I think... I thought you could tell very easily, actually. I, but I could I, not. And I don't know if it's because I just thought that the character of Jean the Arc just didn't... Just got so fucked up in the last half of the series. Because I have a huge issue with her becoming a, the uh, love interest for Sieg. I just feel like it kind of just got thrown in there because they're like... Well, fuck, we're not brave enough to make Sieg's romantic partner Al Stofo. Which it should have happened. Um okay, sorry, continue. But I, I think Erica Harletcher does an amazing job playing her. I love Jean's character design. I love Jean's voice. I think that she did a great job, and I'm not gonna ramble anymore, so roots go. Alright, um Guess I'll start it off with Shiro. Um I will echo Megan's sentiments. I don't think I've heard Max Metalman as a villain. It's it's sort of the same dynamic with uh, Kyle McCarley and Devilman Crybaby, where I'm not used to the actor in an antagonistic role, and I really kind of liked it. Even though, you know, character of Shiro is really just kind of stale white bread. Wait until Unlimited Blade works. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Um, I, I really liked Erica Harlacher, or Harlacher, I'm sorry. Blech, it's, it's, it's a late night. Um, I liked her as Jean Dark. Uh, hate to say it, there really wasn't a lot to her character other than just kind of showing up and being a plot device, so. That bums me out. I know. Like, there's... Why was she made to be a love interest? Why, show? Why? Like, there were really interesting things you could have done with a Joan of Arc character, and it really kind of annoys me that the show botched it. And I'm told they do do things in the series with her as an interesting Joan of Arc character. It's just not a lot of it seems to be here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like it's just some weird character from Fate Stay Night, but I didn't like that bit in Fate Stay Night. I feel it would have been, it would have made more sense for the plot than if she was the servant that Sieg gets. Like, I, I know we really like the Astolfo uh, Sieg angle. I do too. But if you wanted to just do uh, Shiro and Saber again, just do Shiro and Saber again. It's more easier and less complicated than whatever the fuck the ruler thing is. Yeah. Now, this brings us to Sieg. Sieg mm. is... I, I should probably preface this that I really like Zach Aguilar's performance. He has really improved since One Punch Man. But, ugh, Sieg. Sieg. He gets every opportunity to survive as long as he walks away from the Holy Grail War. And what does he not fucking do? He doesn't fucking walk away from the fucking Holy Grail War. Ah! Mm. <laughs> like, he's given every opportunity to live a normal human life. He's given the heart of Siegfried. He's... Can a I get... Berserker can of Black indirectly make... sacrifices herself. Can I make a joke? Sure. 
Gee, Sieg, how come your writer lets you have three different student servants? Because I need to save the world. <laughs> Just imagine that with the fucking hot dog kid. <laughs> Gee, Sieg, why does your bomb let you have three noble phantasms? <laughs> oh! And can we get to the penultimate episode where out of nowhere he uses <laughs> Berserker, a black noble phantasm? It was so cool, but God, was it dumb. It was I don't understand. <laughs> but oh my God, I, I'm, I'm going to be ranting here all day, so I, I should pass it on to Jet. I, I really like the performance. It's just, I have a lot of problems with the character. <laughs> so go ahead and take it before I, I start again. Okay. Um, so this is the first time we've ever really got to hear Max Middleman be an anime baddie, and it's pretty good. I like how Ishiro has a sort of, like, creepy monotone that's, like, it's noticeable, but it sounds subtly enough that it doesn't sound, like, distracting whenever he speaks. It also sort of helped to make those moments where he did, like, finally stab hit a lot harder, and him flipping out and seeing it towards the end was probably the biggest highlight of his performance. I do kind of wish he had a little bit more to work with, though, since... I mean, let's face it, Shiro just wanted to do instrumentality. And I feel like bad guys in anime need to see, stop thinking that instrumentality is a good evil plan. I mean, it only ever really worked that one time in Ava, and heroes will always stop you whenever you try to aim for it. So, I mean, Roses on. are red, Ray's hair is blue, it's the third impact, let's turn into goo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay, a new one. Okay, that's a new okay, one, okay, thank but, but, you. Seriously, anime, stop doing instrumentality. Come up with something original, please. <laughs> okay, um, so I suppose I'll talk about Zach Aguilar next. Um, so he's sometimes been a little bit hit or miss for me, depending on how he's directed, but this was definitely one of the better things I've heard from him. Uh, while the way it ended was kind of just like a giant shrug, I kind of liked Zeke's arc of sort of gaining his own sense of individuality and uh, getting a pretty in-depth look at like the best and worst of people. I thought that Zack handled all of that pretty well, and I appreciate how his performance got like a little bit more emotive with time as seeing sort of gain like a stronger sense of independence. I mean, it wasn't my favorite performance in the show, but it was a pretty solid one, and I'm hoping that Zack Aguilar will have more chances to show off more of what he can do. Uh, but the big one here was, of course, Erica Harlinger. Um, so for a long time, Erica Harlinger was just kind of like there in the background for me, like an actress. So, I mean, like, I never really liked this like any of the things she did. It's just like, she didn't really say that to me for a long time. Uh, but ever since he went in the role of Kurapika and Hunter x Hunter, I've been like more and more impressed with the depths of her range. And uh, her work here is certainly no exception to that. So it's like some of the best stuff I've seen from her yet. I really like how she made John sound sort of like emotionally distanced, which uh, not only worked in regards to like her character arc of seeing Rain form her emotions out that she's been suppressing, uh, but it also made it easier to contrast the difference in tone between John and Leticia and the girls he was possessing. Uh, because I because I know you said you couldn't tell which one was which during any given scene, but I could kind of tell simply by how much he was emoting, and it sort of added a little bit more to the character for me. Uh, as for John herself, much as I like her though, I'll be honest in admitting I wish her arc wasn't just about becoming more emotional because he's falling in love with a dude because... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as, uh, I mean, my least favorite part of the Fate Stay Night stuff is like the Fate Group and all the Shiro Saber stuff. And I mean, it wasn't nearly as 
annoying as some of that stuff was. Uh, but it did remind me of that stuff, and I do kind of wish they had given her something else to do. Uh, but either way, I really liked Erica Harlan's performance here, and I'm really becoming more and more impressed with her as an actress, so I really hope she keeps on continuing to do great things. Mm-hmm. Amen. And with that, it is time to move on to Final Thoughts. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, I'll make mine quick. It's been a long night. Fate Apocrypha, it's Fate Popcorn. It is essentially Fate Popcorn, and I think... Fate Popcorn is... I think because it is a popcorn blockbuster thriller in a lot of it, and it actually works at being a really cool action show for the first and third of it with some actually pretty interesting characters. The problem is it also tries to be a Fate series, and it tries to be philosophical and weird, and that doesn't quite seem to work and mesh well with this writer. And this writer kind of tries a lot of different ideas, and not all of them really stick to the wall. Some fall flat really badly, actually. Some are underused. Some aren't underrepped. The good ideas, there's good ideas and really cool moments. There's some real bad ideas and dumb moments in there, too. But... I, I kind of expected at least to have fun with this one, and I did have fun. There's characters I like, there's characters I didn't like, there's some missed opportunities, there's some real highs in animation I've never seen on TV before. So even then, I still had fun. Uh, time for me to do this as quick as possible so that this isn't as long as it needs to be. This show was bad, um, in my mind. As somebody who has never watched a Fate show in her life, other than, like, who has actually sat down and watched a Fate show, this show was a mass disappointment from what I've been told is a franchise that is exceedingly good. I have tons of friends who are into this, and they... I am disappointed. Son, I am disappointed. However, that is not to say that this dub is disappointing. It is actually far from it. If it was not for this dub, I do not think I would have got through the show. And for once, I'm going to give a controversial take. Thank God this was on Netflix. Uh, I would have dropped the show if it was a Funimation simul dub or a um, later release by Onaplex akin to something like March, is, March Comes Like a Lion or um, Onawana. Um, I, I was severely disappointed in the show, thought the dub was really great. Do wish that they wouldn't have done some triple and double casting. But unfortunately, it is what it is. We don't know what Japan said. Um, I'm not going to call them lazy or anything from it, because I think that's far from what happened. Um, anyway, I, I would totally say if you're into watching dumb shit happen, go watch it. If you're looking for good story or good um, character dynamics outside of a couple of characters, go watch like Unlimited Blade Works or Zero. Okay, words. Alright, so... Um... I think this show had a great first half, um, an excellent third act until the ending where it falls flat and Senna sticks it, and a in a middle that absolutely grinds the entire series to a halt. Um, this dub is extremely strong, especially considering <clears throat> it came from Bang Zoom, who are known for fairly strong dubs in general uh i i have to agree with megan on the the double and triple casting but the actors made each role feel distinct and 
this is a show that I would have difficulty recommending someone start with. I would definitely suggest people start with something like Fate Zero if they want to get into the franchise. You could get in through Apocrypha, but don't do it. I wouldn't suggest don't it. Don't do it. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I will pass it on to Jet. Okay. Um, so, all in all, I'd say I, like, more or less enjoyed my time with the show. I mean, it had its problems, and it's certainly no Fate Zero, but... Um, it didn't leave me quite as frustrated as I was during that whole, like, three straight episodes of monologue during the second half of the world Blade Works. Um, so it's kind of like the middle of the road for me for what I've seen of, like, Fate stuff so far. Uh, if I were recommending Fate to a newcomer, though, I'd so immediately point them into the Wreck of Fate Zero, since that story is fantastic. Uh, but if you're looking to dip your toes into a franchise, if you just want to see historical and mythical figures punch each other's teeth in, you could probably do worse. As uh, far as the dub itself goes, though, I really dug the dub. It's a strong mix of both older and newer talent, and it made for a great time, and it's probably my favorite dub for the franchise in general, so... Yeah, if I had to recommend this one, it would probably be for the dub. As far as, like, Fade itself goes, eh, start off with Fade Zero. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> Alright. We're, we're about to hit the big three. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Okay, so... I apologize to whoever the editor is. Oh, wait, is. hang on. Before we go, I have one thing to say. Whatever you think of Fate Apocrypha, it's still a better use of your time than Fate Grand Order, and I will die on that hill. I'm pretty sure Hannah's gonna come beat you. I ass. don't care. It's the truth. Hannah, he's making fun of your game. Kick his ass. Why are you, you spend a shit ton of money on this game? Go kick his ass. Why are you booing By me? The way, I'm right. Okay, I'm not saying why that. Why boo me for such a controversial opinion? Okay, okay, yeah, we, we, we gotta wrap this up. Okay, I'm sorry, does anyone need to plug anything? Uh, uh, we should probably, I know, we should probably tell people where to find the show, even though it's only one place. You can find us on YouTube. It's on Netflix! on YouTube.com slash Podcast. We're looking into possibly doing some other places, but right now we are on YouTube. As for where you can find us, where can we find our media our, of the social kind? You can follow me at QueenEarer2, you can follow him at Classy Spartan, you can follow him, Jet, at Divine Nega, you can follow Roots at Roots at Justice, Man 9, you can also hang out- Correction. Whoops, sorry, sorry, MangaMan9000. But you can also hang out with Classy and me on the Funimation Discord. Uh, where we're usually being dumb and hanging out with people like Hannah and Kanye, aka Double Three, Dark Death, uh, M. Deller, and that loser, Spaceman Hardy. Love you, Hardy. Love you. Okay, uh, anything you need to plug roots or? No. Um, I hope to be making use of my YouTube account soon, but, you know, you know how things like that kind of end up. Let's pop together. Okay, um, so as for me, aside from social media, you can occasionally see me writing things on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I'll, like, review stuff every now and then. Um, uh, aside from that, that's, like, basically it for me currently. And with that, I think we're basically done for tonight, so thanks for grouping it out with me, guys. I love working Ooh. with you Thank fucking you. Yeah, assholes. Team Grimgar, guys. Team Grimgar, yeah. going strong. <laughs> uh, I got yelled at by my dad. He came and banged on the door. Damn. Because I screamed too loud. That's funny. Uh, 
Anyway, but no, I love you motherfuckers. I can't wait till we... Uh, so, wait, which fate do I watch next now? Which one are we doing? Zero? We're doing Zero. Like, Unlimited Blade Works hasn't played off of what Zero does. Well, we'll do so. Zero first, but that'll be a fun... Yeah. Okay, wait, is Zero the one that takes place in the past, or is that the okay, one okay, that... Okay, okay, Zero was the one that takes place in the past, and it's the best one. So we're doing zero. We'll 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 <laughs> explain that to you later when we're not tired. <laughs> I need a shower, legitimately. Okay. All right. And it's not because I just looked at Jack the Ripper. Uh, all right. Uh, good night, everybody. Okay. Uh, good night, everyone. And until next time. Otaku on and Astolfo is a really, really, really good boy. Give him all the head pats and cuddles. Good night. Yes,